death is on its way. Beware the hunchback of the morgue. A freak of nature. A slave with a body broken from torture. A maniac with crimes beyond your wildest terrors. What kind of underground horror chamber is he building? What kind of monster is he creating? Why does he need more and more flesh? Who is he? What is his weird secret? The secret that strangles an entire city with fear. The secret you'll remember all the way to your coffin. The secret that made him the hunchback of the moor. The Nashi cast. I am Rod Barnett. Sitting across the table from me is Troy Gwynn. And through the internet, the magic of the the magic waves through the air is coming to us. That special guest for this entire year so far, Mr. Bob Sargent. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Looking forward to this. Now, see, I was going to say he was, did we just had a little globe on our table with his face floating around in it, you know, like the inner sanctum, you know, the inner sanctum. Yeah, oh, better, better. He could be a brain in a jar. We keep brain in a jar. Yeah, we're going to get, look, yeah, what's the shelf? Get dust off the shelf with the sergeant brain above. I could be a big brain in a jar with tentacles. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! And now, now all I can do is picture that. It, I, I don't know. I'm just in that mood here lately. Just a couple of weeks ago, we got the chance to go see uh, the original Blob on the big screen for three bucks. Nice. And it was it was a joy to be able to see that on the big screen. Of course, and this uh, you know once you start watching movies of that vintage, there's just there's no going back. I mean, we, you, before we started, you were talking about the Return of the I mean, well the uh, the Attack of the Killer Shrews. Yep. Uh, a film that I have probably watched i don't know a dozen times in my life so well the blobs you know fun fact about the blob i i did some of my growing up in downingtown pennsylvania well, I, thought, really? I thought you were going to say inside the blob and I was <laughs> no but i actually never made it to the diner but he did eat the the blob ate the downingtown diner yeah yep. that yeah. was like our claim to fame mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness bob we've asked you here tonight to have a serious no joke discussion of politics. No, uh, no, 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 no. 
a, a particular favorite of mine, and I know of yours as well. Troy, Troy doesn't particularly like this film. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm not trying to watch Shadows of Blood. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> he's, yeah he's over the corner watching Shadows of Blood on an endless sleep on his phone. Uh, no, no, no. Tonight, uh, we decided to revisit with Bob one of the uh, the gems in the crown for Paul Nashi. Hunchback of the Morgue. Yay! From, uh, mm-hmm. na- from 1973, mm-hmm. although I don't think it showed up in the States officially until a couple of three years later, uh, which isn't that much of a surprise or a yeah. shock. But it is sadly one of the uh, one of the Nashi films that uh, I would kind of have loved to see a sequel to. I don't know how they'd have done it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good question. Uh yeah, did did Goto actually secretly produce an offspring with the corpse of uh, his 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 dead love? Or no, no, he he could have knocked up Rosaniani's character. Well, there that's very well, that's very true. She uh, could have given birth to a little sexy hunchback like a uh, sexy you know, hunchback, chick magnet, chick magnet, chick magnet hunchback. Like I um, will, I will not start the discussion of Nashi's hairpiece in this too soon. Okay? <laughs> let's not let's not go there yet. I might want to save that to later. But uh, uh, hunchback, oh such a magical film. It is. It's incredible. It truly is. I've seen it so many times, and and yet, every. I mean, I never. It never gets old. I, oh, I still still notice new things about it, or just you know, appreciate it in new ways. It's oh, just yeah. so good. I watched it last week, and I was driving you guys crazy with my uh, oddball questions, like question number one, <laughs> question number two. The, the, the many mysteries of Hunchback. This makes no sense. Well, okay. we'll get to it and, well, throw, no, no, no. Here's, and throw it out to our listeners, too, for those yeah, questions. Yeah, exactly. Here. I don't necessarily think it's a, a, the best idea in the world to go through this this film again, plot point by plot point, because essentially I have a mental list of batshit things in the movie that I want to talk about. Great. And I swear to you, they're not going to be in any order. And the fact that I'm already wanting to talk about the hairpiece is the only thing that could be could be uh, talked about at any point in the movie. But let's just say that this is uh, this is the role that Nashi won an award for. Uh, it's easy to see why. he uh, He's playing yep. a very strange character. Yes. Let's just say that this feels like uh, an after-school special ran into a Herschel Gordon-Lewis film. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. That's a great description. Uh, <clears throat> I'll go ahead and just, then, then I'll just, after you said that, I'll just throw out something I was going to ask you guys. Uh, that Because uh, it, it struck me, watching it this time around, I think it may be Nashi's best performance. I mean, what do you guys I think about it? I mean, Nashi, there's a lot of Nashi performances I really love, but because of the complexity of the character and the fact that he somehow managed it to not make it seem like it's zigzagging every love me like it still seems like it still seems to work within the character as odd as it I mean, as strange as a character is it, 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 it his performance I think he he does jump back and forth between the pathos and mm. the uh, murderous rage right, right but it's but it's believable yes, all the time right. if, if you're going to talk his best performance I, I gotta be honest as time has gone by I've begun mm. to think that his performance it, it's his performance in the Frenchman's Garden, I think, That's is, is top astonishing. Yeah. That's when I had to weigh yep. it against that, and in Rojo Sangre. Yes, he's, uh, he's incredible. In and, Rojo in, and in and in uh, the Traveler, you know that. Yeah. But but I still came out with thinking that I, I, I thought that that it might be his best, uh, uh, you know, might might be his best performance is, is Hunchback uh, as Goto. But uh, it's it's an excellent it's an excellent performance. And if I had to break it down, see the thing about Frenchman's Garden is that 
it is such a good performance, mm-hmm. but it is not the same kind of performance that we've always expected no, from Nashi. That's true. Yeah, it is a very, it is very much. I, you and I have said this from the moment we discovered the movie in the first place, Troy, mm-hmm. which was like my God, what a decade or more ago. Right. Which is Frenchman's Garden and El Caminante or The Traveler. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those films are of a quality to sit right next to the the art house films of yeah. the 50s, 60s, and mm-hmm. 70s. I think. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, Th- those yeah. two movies could oh, be criteria. Totally, totally yeah. agree. Especially, oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Especially Frenchman's Garden, I think might be his best film. And we got to remember that Hunchback, of course, true. somebody else was directing him. But in Frenchman's Garden, yeah. he's yeah, directing and, himself. And, and I will say that you know it's true that Hunch, Hunchback of the Morgue isn't always his performance isn't always served the best by the director's choices. You know, in most cases, but there are scenes that are a little oddly framed or going a little, you know, a little. It could have could have used a little editing or something, or could have used. You I know, think, to, yeah, I think that sometimes the movie's um, less successful than it needs to be in its in its tonal shifts. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong; I enjoy it from beginning to end. But there are a few moments when, and I don't think I'm getting any pushback on this, where you get a little whiplash. Yeah. From the the direction the film was, the direction the film had you feeling, and the way it's suddenly shoving. You know, a severed head in your face. <laughs> well, it, oh yeah. Well, Nash isn't. I mean, excuse me. Goto isn't a totally sympathetic character, which no, I think is one of the. Yeah. I think is one of the because you could have easily made him just pure pathos and sympathetic. Yeah. And he's sympathetic to certainly to a big degree, but at the same time, there's that edge to him where you're not sure. I mean, you know, he can. He he's a little. Uh, I mean, well, he's obviously he has a, has a little sadistic streak in him, and uh, and and certainly. You can chalk up a lot of it to how he's been treated, right? But but he's yep. there's there's some strange uh, edges to his character there that uh, make you feel like he's always a kind of a ticking time bomb, you know, no matter what. <laughs> a loose a loose cannon or a loose hunchback. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the the moment the film presents to you where you kind of got to fall on one side or the other uh, of how you're going to think about him, and maybe just get it all muddled up in a, mm-hmm. in a lot in a big way is a moment that is simultaneously understandable, mm-hmm. but also horrific enough to make you think, well, I don't know that those scumbags deserve that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the scene in the morgue after his 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 beloved friend has passed away and they've insulted her, mm-hmm. you know, and, and stolen from her corpse. And he just slaughters them. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, th- and that, is, that is a moment where the movie... It's almost as if that's a hinge point where the movie is trying to point you in the direction of okay, mm. you need to, we, you do have sympathy for this guy mm. and he is justified in his anger, but entrails on the floor, <laughs> angry. I mean, oh, crazy. Yeah. Well, and then later he does, and he flips out again and he kills the, the three guys when they decide to you know toss the toss the corpse into the yeah. acid. You know, or he kills one of them outright, yeah. shoves one of them in an Iron Maiden. You know, and the other one he breaks like acid on his mm. face or, or whatever it was in that in that you know that that big jar, big yeah. Erlingmeyer flask. <laughs> you know, but and that's of course after the Mad Doctor angle. You know, was thoroughly interesting. <laughs> yeah, thrown in is the right way to put just about every angle in this film. But, <laughs> yeah, but see, I go back earlier than you guys do when we're talking about Goto's. Uh, let's say. Uh, uh, you know, questionable personality traits is when he's when with the first, you know, when his his object of affection, her bow, 
I guess dies of as we speculated alcohol poisoning or something in the yeah. street. The way he's kind of the way he's yeah. kind of playing with the corpse and sort of enjoying himself, carving it up and sort of muttering to him, singing to himself and all that. I mean, I think from oh, well, now that was some total weird. But well, two <laughs> things connected to that, yeah, because Udo was supposedly, uh, uh, you know, the 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 boyfriend mm. of the 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 girl. I guess she had tuberculosis yeah, right, or right, whatever right. it was. It was destroying her body. Uh, but um, see, El- Elsa, right? No, El- Ilsa, yeah, Elsa. Yeah. No, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Ilsa, Ilsa, right? Because Elki, Elki was the Rosanna right. Yanni right. character, character, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, Udo, you just kind of. <laughs> I mean, you saw those gigantic beers he was <laughs> drinking, and I guess, I guess, sclerosis of the liver just did him in right on the street. I, it is. You, well, you can't know? drink yourself to death. Well, you it's know? it's like uh, it's like it it's like happen. a commentary track for that. You know, as I run. You know, it's like we, we said, like, you know, you really, yeah, this is way too large a container to drink any kind of beverage, no matter what it is. We're saying, like, even water might be fatal from a, from a container, this, this a glass yep. this size. <laughs> yeah, but you think about the guy, here he is, his poor girlfriend yeah. is, like, you know, dying in right. bed, and here he is, you know, catting around in a bar and pawing all yeah. these girls and, and, you know, drinking with his pals and stuff, and, and it's revealed that, uh, you, you know, uh, the poor thing, her her parents had died, and she feels everybody except Gato had forgotten mm-hmm. about her, right? Yeah. So, and then later, of course, we see that yeah, you get the scene in the morgue, which was weird scene number two for me, which um, I was kind of scratching my head, and I, I actually had the uh, uh, the English dub track on, but I put on the Spanish uh, subtitle track. Well, it was actually the English translation of the Spanish. Okay, if that yeah. makes sense. Just, just to kind of see, because I wanted to hear that kind of weird. I think, I think I called it like the uh, kind of the the morgue worker shanty or something. <laughs> yeah, again. Because after you know, after he had he had basically dismembered Udo's mm-hmm. corpse with you know great relish, and then and then he just kind of shuffles off with the cart. You know, he's doing that weird. That he's going like dead. the dead will Don't get out for whatever he says something like that. Wow, yeah. so good. And then he said, and then something about ghosts laughing. Yeah. And I was like, what was and what was up? I with would that? love to know if that's an actual song or was Nashi improvising. I mean, I just I will never know, but I would love to know what is that song. Yeah. You know, was he was he just song. riffing yeah. on the day yeah. or what? Yeah. yeah, but nobody seems to talk yeah. about it. Well, except yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> We've watched it too many times. Let's let's be honest. If yeah. you've only seen this movie once. Believe me, there are probably about 25 to 30 weird little things that you're just forgetting because of the really big weird things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. we Yeah, yes. And there's some really big weird things. <laughs> like the big things. weird eight-foot thing that charges and that comes out of, out of, the, out of the, <laughs> the cave at the last, you know. At the, oh, I lo- yes. Yeah. Well, that well that too, and that was another thing I, I know I had told you guys, this is the first time I ever realized this, and I don't know if it was maybe just sort of uh, – uh, somebody being sloppy in the subtitling, but in the English dub, whenever Dr. Orla refers to the primordial, he calls it it. Yes. But Mm -hmm. in the translation, he calls, he refers to the primordial as yeah, and, and I saw. I noticed they right after and, you pointed that out, and I, when I was doing my last, you know, doing the rewatch for this, you were right. I saw that too. You know, that's the first as a she. Yeah, and it's like it okay, unusual. now we got a. It's, it's a she. And it's like, well, how would you know? It's like <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, how intimate has uh, has Orla been with this with this thing here? So yeah, oh, there's a there's a thought that doesn't bear thinking too. <laughs> no, we might want to. Oh my god. Anyway, I, I'm. 
let's let's back up to a to a point earlier in the film and just kind of um, <laughs> when you talk about this film, it's very easy to focus on probably just one or two characters: Nashi's character, the hunchback himself, and Doctor Orla, Alberto Dal uh, Alberto Dalbus. Uh, and I'm mispronouncing. I think name. you said it right. Dalbus. Yeah, you got it right. Well. If you generally what what sticks in your memory are those two characters, but this movie is overstuffed with characters. Oh yeah, and, oh, and, yeah. and all of them are are trying to find ways within the story to exist in this mad framework <laughs> and not not like fall off the edges of the earth essentially because they all have to they all have little bits of knowledge and not the whole picture. Yeah. And therefore, so you have, yeah. like, Rosanna Yanni's character, who yep. works at the place where eventually Dr. Orla starts, uh, well, just having Goto steal chicks out of for, <laughs> for experiments. So yep. she knows, okay, yep. wait a minute. Yeah. We just, you know, these people just don't disappear mm. overnight. We need, to, we need to be talking to the police. But she's getting talked out of calling the police mm -hmm. by yep. another woman who is running the place but who is also the girlfriend slash fiance of another doctor who is helping Dr. Orla before, right. before his ethics his, his ethical spidey <laughs> sense starts to ping a little too hard for him you need a scorecard yeah, yeah, exactly. so, so we have Troutner Played by Vic Winter, mm -hmm. you got got Orla, and I'm not going to say Orloff, although, although it's, no, very it's so fucking tempting. tempting. Yeah, so, yeah. We've got we've got Maria Percy's character, who no like like I say she's attached to Vic Winter's character. We've got Rosanna Yanni, yep. who's attached to Maria Percy's character. Mm -hmm. All of them mm -hmm. have a little bit of knowledge about the Hunchback. But none of them have enough knowledge to really think something terrible is going on, except Vic Winter's character, once he gets to a certain point, realizes, okay, I can't be a part of this, or I'm never going to be able to be a doctor. Yeah, yeah but he still flip-flops a couple of times. We laughed at him. He does. Out. Vic Winter's he gets character talked is, out. He gets talked out. He is a very malleable character. It's kind of like he's, it's kind of like he's, his, his, <laughs> his conscience is, you know, Orla on one side and his, and his wife on the other side, or his girlfriend, whatever, Maria yeah. Persia. They're, they're kind of perched on either shoulder, kind of like... <laughs> And he's spinning one moment for the other, just like you know, <laughs> or, yeah. or going. Well, he's kind of like a weak. He's like a weak male yeah. character. It's like it depends on who. It depends on who he's yeah. with at the moment. Or Orla's on the shoulder, going, "Medical glory will be gods." Yeah. And, and Mert Maria Percy's character's on his shoulder, going. But this is probably a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. That's a great one of my favorite moments of the film is where she's watching them work, you know, and she just kind of says right there, says, so really you have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, she just says that. You yes, almost expect her to yes. kind of look at the audience at the same time and say, like, you know, so yeah, just look right at the camera. you guys really don't know what you're doing here, do you? <laughs> and, and yet all of them have a level of sympathy for Goto, for our Hunchback character, for Paul Nash's That's character, true. because they all recognize him as someone who has been victimized and mm -hmm. bullied and beaten down mm -hmm. to the to the point where the the movie. I don't think the movie overdoes it, but it, it's very easy to see how when you know the worm turns, the worm is going to eat us all. Mm -hmm. And and oh, yeah. although that is not how the story plays out, 
Uh, because, of course, we have the, the shambling it creature behind the fucking door <laughs> waiting to, to come out and end this entire facade of, of, of scientific sanity that's hanging on by one fingernail by that point. The fact that this, you know, this creature is, you know, not only the way it looks, the fact that it just must live on human flesh and the noises it's constantly screaming shrieking oh, the fact that orla is still the oh, fact that orla is yes. still excited about this what he's you know like you know at, at what point you know it's like really know his rationale is why he thinks he's 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 headed for medical you know scientific glory <laughs> or that anything good can come of this creation you know it's like this is like the frankenstein monster taken to an nth degree as far as uh, just a yeah. completely hopeless he's like sorry dude you're not gonna this is not gonna be you're not gonna be putting on the ritz with this creature on but, the stage man you're just you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a few questions I want to ask both of you, and I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask this question. And I'm gonna, right. I want I want Bob to answer first okay. because <clears throat> this is something that I. This isn't the first time I've watched this movie with an eye toward this thought, and trying to see if I could find any evidence of it within the film. But okay. because of the nature and sound, regardless of which track you listen to, the sounds of the primordial. Mm-hmm. Once it's locked in its own little, once it's locked in its own little cell or room or whatever, the sounds that we hear from yep. it, I I I now watch this film with an eye towards seeing if there are any moments when the excitement that Orla is feeling is somehow sexual in nature, <laughs> because. The I hadn't even thought about the whole idea until you brought it up, Bob. I hadn't even thought about the idea of the gender possibilities of the creature. I was just thinking that this is like the ultimate mad scientist creates a monster getting his rocks off on just, you know, as, as you know, Henry Frankenstein said in 1931, now I know what it feels like to be a god. But did are you, have you seen anything in the Orla character in the film that would lead you to think that there was even the slightest hint that we were we were supposed to be getting some kind of sexual excitement idea from him? You know, he Orla definitely had a big ego. Yes. We know that, right? And and I think even some of the characters alluded to that. But I, I don't know if I saw him getting off on it actually i was thinking it's funny you bring this up because while we were just talking i was thinking you know when he sends gato out you know once he realizes that gato can be like a tool for him and he starts exploiting the hunchback right and he starts sending him off to the sanitarium to kidnap girls out of showers and out of their beds and stuff to haul them back there and feed them to primordial the primordial but they showed one or two scenes and there's orla and he's by himself in these catacombs, in this la- in this room, and Lord knows how long he had to wait. <laughs> you know, I think he complained at one point about where is that hunchback? You know, <laughs> yeah, he does. but he's like, yeah. but he's like biting his he's biting his fingernails, practi- you know, pro- pro- practically chewing his hand <laughs> off, probably. But it's like it it looked. He started looking uncomfortable. Like even Orla himself was. I was wondering if he's thinking, hmm. Is this really worth it? <laughs> you know, or or you know, he even he you know, everybody had different reactions to the primordial or like you know, I, I like to call it the little uh, good humor truck uh door to the freezer that the guy opens up to get the ice cream out. You know, it's like the tiny little door when you're a kid. And it's like 
you know, and somebody looks, you know, a woman looks in there, goes, oh, that's horrible. You know, even Orla mm-hmm. at one point opened it up. Yeah. You know, you hear, rawr, rawr, and he opens it, it's like, <laughs> almost like a cartoon, and he closes it really <laughs> <Yes>. fast. <laughs> like, like, like he can't even stand it anymore. So I, I don't, I don't know if I'm, uh, to, to, to answer your question, I don't know if I'm seeing that. I, I think he was starting too late to start seeing like to, to start thinking along the lines that hmm like what have i done you know because <laughs> it's like this is this is getting out of control this deal's just getting worse and worse and worse so then it's like you either go forward or i mean like it's it's almost too too late to turn back and so maybe he's at this point maybe the desperation that he has in just urging goto on to get more food for it that he thinks at some point it's going to justify yeah. all this that what he's done to you know what he's done to make it happen well, now he even says at one point in the film and i love the fact yeah. that there's a point in the film where he literally says the words when he's when he's once again when he's convincing vic winter to you know to stay you know stay in the game or whatever where he says he says <laughs> keep, he keep says in the game you wuss yeah he basically says we're scientists the end justifies the means i mean he says that oh, phrase, he says it which, loud. which is yeah. which is like the 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 standard phrase that kind of you know sums up machiavellian that sums up the whole mad scientist genre you know yeah. character and, and yep. he literally says that <laughs> He, he did. And also, is it a little bit of human nature where, you know, if you're standing at a bus stop, right, and you wait and the bus is five minutes late, but you really want to get on that bus and then you wait another 10 minutes. And before you know it, you've, you've invested 20 minutes already in waiting for the bus. So you figure, well, what's another 20 minutes? The next thing you know, you're waiting an hour. So it's sort of like with these guys. It's like, well, we've already fed eight naked women to this thing so you know let's let's go let's go let's keep going and, and in for a penny in for a penny we'll just start you know feeding our our scientific associates to it you know it's, it's oh, know. the part where Vic Winter Vic Winter finally tells him you know that he, you know I'm not doing this anymore he's like okay well you'll feed the primordial then you know he just yeah I'm gonna feed you to him that's it's you know what we're going, it's gonna happen. and and luckily the hunchback didn't cave his head in yeah with him. right exactly <laughs> Because it seems like he kills everybody else, so it's like, okay, well, I guess, I guess he liked him, but it's like, I hate, you hate to see what happens when he really, when Gato really doesn't like you. As I said, entrails on the floor. Yeah, yeah. So, so Troy, you, have you ever had the thought of of Orla being sexually aroused by his his magnanimous? Awesomeness, <laughs> you know, in a film that's filled with some pretty kinky sexual ideas, everything from you know, implied necrophilia to you know, yeah. to, 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 you know, to others. It's, it's, uh, I can't, you know, I don't think I have really thought of it in that terms. You know, God that's interesting. It. That, 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 that yeah, means both of you say it no. That means it's my problem. It's just, it's yours, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, although Troy points out the movie sure was it definitely was full of kinky yeah. stuff. You know, I mean, you think about you had hunchback yeah, sex. Yeah. <laughs> True. And it's like, I don't know, with Rosani Yanni, who it's like she just towered <laughs> over Gato. Yeah. And, and he's made even smaller because he's he's dropping down to the floor. Uh, kissing oh, yeah, the boots, kiss, oh, feet kissing, right, the kissing, feet kissing thing is like you could you could probably spend an hour analyzing that in itself. You know? <laughs> yeah, I wonder where that came yeah. from. So it's well, like, I assume and this is just a guess on my part that, you know, once again, that long list of questions that I would have loved to have been af- able to ask Paul Nashy. Yeah, I never got the chance. And nobody else seems to have asked him asking these things either is. You know, was that being done? Was the foot kissing stuff just a, another way of showing this character w- his his willingness to debase himself 
in front of beautiful women, in front of the women that he he found himself with these you know these incredible emotions for, or you know in other words, was this just a form of him worshiping these women, because that's the only way he could really seem to find to impart his feelings for them is to debase himself in that way. Um, and maybe debase is the wrong word, but it's just a physical way of, of lowering yourself in front of this person all the way to the floor and showing them that you are A, no threat, and, and B, can be commanded, essentially, right? But if, if I, I'm, I'm going I'm to try to swerve away from the from the sexual kink for just a second mm-hmm. and say that only uh, a second. I, I, only, I gotta tell you the first couple of times I saw this movie this idea did not occur to me and so I'm gonna toss this one out and have the two of you kick it around like a soccer ball or possibly just a, just or a, a human a, behead a severed head yeah. yeah severed head exactly yeah. which is <clears throat> normally in your let's call it Orla what he is he's a variation on on Dr. Frankenstein if we're if we're right. Talking about that kind of thing, in the past, what a film has done is it's visualized the idea of assembling a body piece by piece by robbing graves, various corpses, possibly you know stealing brains, all this kind of stuff. And in this film, we do have right. the stealing of the brain. But what we have is not just the stealing of the brain. We have the stealing of the entire head. He goes and chops an entire head mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. But in this yep. movie, the construction of this thing is just in a big jar, and he just shoves the head into it. <laughs> You're right. Now, first of all, the first couple of times I saw this, for some reason it didn't strike me as that odd. <laughs> I don't know why. I really I really don't know why. But now, every time I watch it, I just think to myself, so does the, the, the big jar of glop know where the head is and where it should go i mean <laughs> yeah well it seemed like there was well frankenstein at least was a surgeon yeah. right and you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of flesh for frankenstein and udo kier's style of surgery which was just to <laughs> stuff guts into a body yeah. cavity <laughs> seal it up there's no sir there's no connecting <laughs> it's just he just expects everything to work and if it, you and know, if it doesn't you know, I mean, well, what the hell are we gonna do yeah, but the weird thing is, it would work, and it's like, oh, is surgery that easy? Just, it's like, well, I got a stomach and a liver, and I'm just going to shove it in there, you know. And it's, it's like, have, have doctors been lying to us for centuries? Do you just have to shove shit in and see? Or what was or or was he magical? Because it's like you saw his his going back to flesh for Frankenstein again. It's like you got, uh, you know, Otto his uh, his assistant, you know, tried it, and he ends up. He's like, well, this always works for Doctor Frankenstein, and he. he mm-hmm cuts this woman's stomach open and the entrails come out and she dies and he's like, well, that didn't go the way I planned. <laughs> I don't understand. Do you, is there some knowledge within these books that might give me some information? I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, I let's, don't know. Uh, but I well, digress. We're all going to digress because I'm about to open up a can of worms <laughs> because we're, we're talking around the primordial and I can't get away from this subject. Um, let's keep it. Let's keep that can of worms yeah. open. Well, let's dive into the mention of the Necronomicon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, which, yeah. of course, I mean, it, it, it's almost as if you know, in 1973, I do not think that there was that there was a large contingent of the movie-going public that would have been really well versed in the literature of H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. 
So mm-hmm. throwing out the word Necronomicon might not really matter to a, a lot of people. Maybe. If you'd seen Die Monster Die, or if you'd seen the Dunwich Horror, mm-hmm. it, maybe I, maybe oh, you've got a, a touchstone for that term without having actually read those stories. So, once that gets tossed out there, well, you don't do that lightly. <laughs> that means mm-hmm. that what you're doing is you're trying to reference something that allows you to get either into the cosmic horror end of things, or the unspeakable, indescribable, monstrous thing that you may that just to glance at may drive you mad. Now, to my mind, the primordial is a really decent attempt on the money they had to create, you know, the the unspeakable mm-hmm. horror of right. a Lovecraftian creature. A thing in the pit, yeah. you know, that you can't yeah. exactly. It's behind the door the whole right, time. Right, right. And the fact that they keep it behind the door until the, yeah. <laughs> nearly the end of the movie when we're, when it's like, oh, time to wrap off. this mother up and close it down. <laughs> Here we go. I swear the last 15. You know, it's right. interesting you bring this up because you got me thinking. I looked at the gallery in the uh, the uh, the disc from the Nashi Collection box right. set. And the still, there is a black and white still in there. Uh, I think I had we, we had talked about this before, of the primordial in its cell with some of the half-devoured victims right. like littering the floor, right? And it's like, okay, somebody, I, I guess they, they probably thought to shoot the scene or at least somebody shot the cell or shot shot the, uh, the mm-hmm. still, but it's like somebody made a conscious decision that, no, we don't, we don't want to show that. And maybe, maybe part of it is what you're talking about mm-hmm. there, where they were making up an attempt that, yes, this is the, the unseen horror, the horror that nobody should see. And, you know, and it did, it did make a big impact oh, when it came crashing through the door. Exactly. At the end. Yeah. It's a great moment. And I think you're right. I think that they shot stuff inside that cell. And then in the edit realized how much stronger it would be if you didn't see any of the creature until it, it yep. crashes through that door mm-hmm. and brings everything to revealed. Halt. Yeah. What a reveal. Oh, yeah, that was a showstopper. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, if, if you remember nothing else from this movie, that scene is never going to be forgotten. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I can only yeah. imagine seeing that on a drive-in screen in the mid-70s. <laughs> Oh, oh my I lord! I mean, what the? Hell? I mean, you know, I don't know what would what it would what it would have been paired with, you know, in your locality or wherever you might have possibly mm. seen this at that time, but I cannot imagine you're prepared for that. <laughs> I wish I could have seen it, you know, and and you know, going back to the the point about the Necronomicon, because modern audiences, well, or you know, latter day audiences, I guess, their point of reference for the Necronomicon would probably be uh, Evil Dead. Or right, Army of right. Darkness, you know, and, and Bruce Campbell, you know, and it's like that, you know, what we saw in Hunchback, that's that's not what it was at all. You know, it's not that Evil Dead kind mm-hmm. of thing. Right. And, you know, was Orla also what I think what he was hoping for was that from the primordial in some way, you know, he'd be, you know, getting getting all of this, uh, you know, scientific knowledge and, and you know. Uh, humanitarian knowledge, but it's like I think did 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 he allude to like an offspring coming from the primordial? Yes, there, there's to deliver this information. I think, I think there's a line of dialogue where he talks about this being like the beginning of a. He doesn't. He doesn't say. He doesn't 
say what I kept expecting him to say when I'm watching it, you know, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, twelfth mm. time, which mm. is I keep waiting him to, right. to use the term master race. <laughs> of course, but, yeah, right. But, you know, I, right. And and also was the primordial kind of was it unfinished yeah it's oh, kind of yeah. like a really messy a really messy melting yeah. man or yeah, melting it, it, it woman came out but... of the oven too soon yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of half-baked well i always said it kind of made me think too of uh of the various uh comic book swamp creatures like the heap of course being the yeah. guy the granddad the heap yep. leading to the swamp thing and man thing it sort of just felt to me a part of that family at that point but no i believe that i definitely think it was it was unfinished it was and not grown into the i guess whatever <laughs> glorious being it was going glorious <laughs> entity it was going to grow into it's i think it was well far from unfinished also did the shaw brothers borrow from this for the oily maniac you guys ever see the oily oh, maniac I haven't seen it in years but you know maybe yeah because yeah. same kind of thing when you know the oily maniac would like just burst out of like a water barrel and go oh, wow and, you know it's like all. And it's like, man, it's kind of like the primordial. Which which came first? And, well, I, I, I think I think Nashi yeah, I was think, first. I think this was first because I think Oily Maniac was mid to late seventies. I, I think you're right, and I think and the Shaw Brothers and and you know, well, particularly Shaw Brothers, they were not shy about swiping everything and anything. <laughs> well, hell no, including including entire yeah. scores. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh yeah, Oily Maniac came out in seventy six. <laughs> okay, so there yeah. you go. So it's like somebody somebody may have seen Hunchback of the Morgue. But it's just, that's I don't know. It's just like when I see the oily maniac, I'm thinking that's the wow, problem. I never thought about that. You know, a lot of people have, have, have mentioned how it makes them think of the tar man from Return of the Living Dead, you know. The, the, well, that's the, a direct, the tar, that's but that this one is even more closer. I had not thought of the oily maniac at all. Well, a lot, of, a lot of cultural references came later from this film, I guess. But interesting. But yeah, the... the Boy, the, the primordial is is uh, just just ripe for the pick in there. I mean, there's so much stuff to talk about. What I was trying to get to earlier, and I of course managed to derail myself about the number of characters in this movie, mm. is that normally when you're talking about a horror movie, the reason you have so many characters is the more characters, the more on-screen deaths we get. You know, mm, you, right. you have to have the characters yep. on screen for them to get bumped off. Pretty simple. Yep. So uh, in this movie, of course, that's. Pretty pretty much the way it goes, except that really only the people you really want to get crocified get crocified. Yeah, you know, yeah. The, 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 this movie does not pull the trigger on doing that thing that, um, especially in the seventies, was fairly common, which is why don't we just torture and murder the women? <laughs> we do, but not the women that we actually have names for. <laughs> Well, if you want to, I mean, honestly, it's unusual even for a Nashi film. Because one thing we always talk about is the Nashi body count that kind of finishes, always finishes up the last third of the film, where suddenly just everybody starts getting knocked off, and, and you know, every scene, you know, is, is eliminating yeah. one character after another. So this film doesn't even do that for a Nashi film. It, it, it's uh, always, yeah. Sometimes it is kind of like they sense the running time is running out, yeah. and it's like, oh well, shit, uh, let me dive into this pit of acid or something. It's, 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 <laughs> let me have this random arrow come out of the woods yep. and just you know stab me. Well, of course, true to a Nashi film, though he's 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 always going to die in oh, the yeah. end, oh, yeah, yeah. almost <laughs> almost always. I mean, actually, real quick, can either of you think of a Nashi film at the end where he survives? Yeah. I, can I can think, think of, of one. I can think of. I can think of one. One, yeah. I, I'm no, thinking no, uh, Werewolf think versus the Yeti. Depending on how you look. All right, at it. Well, well, I, I got. All right, so we got night. You know, Werewolf versus right. the Yeti, which is the only one of his werewolf movies with a happy ending. 
But where else? Where else oh, does he? Uh, and El not... Caminante, he's not really dead. In El Caminante, he can't die. Oh right, okay. Because yeah, sure, sure. You're that, because because of the nature point. of the character. Because, because the character, yeah. he's, he's immortal anyway. So right. he can't, yeah, okay. But that, uh, I, I mean, there are probably some films, and I'm, I'm. <laughs> does his character survive in? Uh... Well, there's some some films he dies. He has multiple roles, and he dies more than one. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay, true. Like he was a glutton. Uh, Paul was a glutton for punishment. <laughs> How can I die this time? You know, Vic Winter said in an interview, though, he did say of Paul Nashi that he, Paul Nashi was very patient, particularly when it came to toughing it out oh, yeah. for uh, doing the makeup. He had to be. Yep. Well, he knew what he wanted on screen, and he knew that, you know, you're going to have to spend the time to get that stuff on. There's no, there's no shortcutting yep. it unless you want it to look like shit. And oh yeah, and and he would tell the makeup artist what he right. wanted because he 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 knew you know he had that imagination and you know you didn't really have that big of a tradition you didn't have any tradition really of fantastic fantastic films in Spain until uh, Mark of the Wolfman yeah. and there were stills I saw stills of where they were testing uh, fangs for the Wolfman and the first ones were carved from uh, carved out of a, a potato <laughs> believe it or not yeah. It, it, I mean, yeah. true story, oh, yeah. and it's like oh, this ain't. It's like this ain't gonna work. <laughs> yeah, dude, this won't last worth a shit. Yeah, well, it's like, well, I'm gonna eat the. I'm gonna eat my fangs <laughs> for real. Well, uh, speaking of makeup, one of the other eternally unanswered questions about this film, and Rod and I brought it up before in our discussions on it, is that you know, the die in the dialogue, people are constantly talking about the hunchback's horrible monkey face and you know his distorted and and yep. we speculated that in the original script and Nashi's original idea was really going to go uh, all out or, or much more it, 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 the facial you know the makeup for the hunchback to give him a much more deformed appearance yeah and, and, which is obviously not what happened I mean he's yeah. really other than that as we talked about yeah. the famous hair piece you know otherwise and some darkened skin, you know. He and and we, well, our guess was maybe because he was going to actually have a romantic interest, actual romantic intimate scenes that they just thought that that would the audience would be too freaked out if 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 Rosanna Yanni's making out with some you know hideously deformed if, face. If, if he's if he's making out with Charles Lawton from you know yeah Hunch right Mike, right Hunch right Mike and Notre Dame. or the or the mutant from the yeah right, exactly. yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, and, and yeah and. and some of it, I've always put the, you know, those those many cutting remarks about his quote-unquote monkey face or something mm. like that. Yep. It, it, there's a, an overgeneralization that's, that's often done when someone considers someone else hideous. There's an oversimplification of how they speak about them, and I've, I've, I've just thought that that is what that fell into. But the more that time has passed, I do think that there may have been a decision made, you know, before... <laughs> Before slash after they decided what they could leave into leave mm-hmm. in the uh, the dialogue and leave out or change or alter, mm-hmm. when it's just like I think that's very you know, plausible. Let's, let's, let's not give him a deformed nose and let's not mm-hmm. give him a you know a, a droopy a droopy mouth corner to drool mm-hmm. out of or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. right. You know, interesting though that it was repeated so often and even from Gotho yeah. himself. I think mm-hmm. he was saying to Elky how all, all I you know. When people look at me, all I do is make them yeah, sick. Yeah. Well, see, that's just it. You know, he actually said that I himself. I think that it would have been perfect if he was the only one who said something like that. And the others the others yeah. acted exactly the same way they did. 
but he was the only one that referenced himself as being some kind of hideously facially deformed person because then it's just yep. what he sees in the mirror as opposed to the reality. Boy, and no political correctness Ooh. back then <laughs> yeah. either. I mean, yeah. everybody just... Yeah. They would just brutalize them. <laughs> oh, oh, I, well, I mean, it's like it's not—it's not, it's not I, enough. He gets I beat mean, up even by the brats, kids. even the brats with the bad schoolboy yeah. uniforms and the haircuts and <laughs> yeah. the rocks. I know. It's like was that like <laughs> an, a regular after-school activity? Let's <laughs> yeah. just go throw rocks at the hunchback. Well, I love that the <laughs> thing cracks me up that you know the I mean the three guys who the three guys that gets me a fight with. It's not like they're just random street thugs. They're medical they're doctors, students. They're yeah. Doctors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's like and, and so when the thing is they keep after him and yeah. after him and yeah. after him yeah so when he does open well, up that I, can of hunchback whoop ass it's yeah. like okay good job go to it <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah we just wanted to see him kick their asses it's like because they deserve yeah. it yeah. well you know it's 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 very interesting that you brought up i mean with the body count it's sort of like all right it seems like everybody who was deserving mm-hmm of you know deserving of death basically they mm-hmm. got yeah <laughs> now, i don't know if i don't know how much the women in the dependent whatever it was was it a prison was it an insane asylum i don't know what it was this this oh the sanitary oh well that's I, true I, so I, maybe I well, just like, always i just always things. thought of it as a, a, a home huh? for women with overacted clitorises that's all i can think of <laughs> i just love that oh, the right. first we see of them is I just, I still at this time it cracked me up where you know Rosani, where where you yep. first you see oh, I would just one inmate just randomly whipping another one in there and it's almost like they said okay it's a Euro horror film we've got to have whipping somewhere where we're we going to put whipping <laughs> and let's just I know let's just have these two these these roommates you know enacting some sort of sadomasochistic yeah and I love when Rose, Rosani, Yanni you know has come in and break them up and says something like it says something yeah. to the effect like I'm gonna have to separate you two I'm like yeah you think <laughs> you think maybe you might want to <laughs> well what kills me is wasn't that the first time we saw her too yeah i think, I it, think was. it was but see that, that, that's the thing I, and, though. Then, and then she's talking to maria yeah. percy saying i yeah. had to separate again them again that. so apparently this is repeated behavior <laughs> which by the way means that these two people are in a relationship and maybe you should respect that <laughs> this is just foreplay yeah. consenting yeah. adults yeah. if they if they if one wants to whip the other well hey <laughs> clearly <laughs> clearly the door's unlocked she can get away <laughs> Well, if they only knew, you know, they, they, they had so little time <laughs> to, to live. Yeah, right. Okay, oh, okay. Just let them, you know, it's like on your last days on Earth, it's like, for, for God's sake, let them have a little bit let of fun. Let us whip each other for tomorrow. We may be gone. <laughs> we may be eaten by the primordial. <laughs> oh, my Lord. What a way to go. I mean, even, it looked like even Orla got noshed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Half his face was gone. I, and see, that's something I have to admit. Almost every time in this movie, I'm sh- I'm surprised by something that I've forgotten mm-hmm. since the last viewing. And this time around, you've just mentioned it is is one of those things that I wanted to ask this question. I had forgotten how Orla dies exactly. Right. I know it's in the in the last few minutes, and I know it's definitely primordial on Orla violence. Mm-hmm. But I could not remember exactly what went down or what it looked mm-hmm. like. Are, are there things that you found yourself this go around, either of you, having forgotten until it's right on screen in yep. front of you, and you're like, "Oh, holy shit, yeah, that." Yep. Yep, that scene. Because I noticed another thing is, well, wait a minute. You know, Gotho made mincemeat out of everybody, but Orla was like a, a prize pugilist right. <laughs> yeah. here. Oh, he's yes. fighting. He's fighting Gotho, and I, <laughs> now maybe he weakened him because he 
he put a couple of bullets into him. But, yeah, yeah. You know, go, 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 but go it's like take a bullet. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point though because you 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 never see Cullen Clive wailing on wailing on somebody like that. You know, but yeah, oh, uh, oh, uh, Orla apparently had 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 some prize. Had you're right, he was he had had some training in his in his in, in amidst all of his uh, his uh, scientific uh, mania. There, he uh, took time out to learn learn some some street skills there. <laughs> Yep. Well, and then at the end where, you know, when the primordials got him on, on the ropes in the corner there and we see his face, it's like, was it just me or did Orla's face, did Orla's face maybe kind of mirror what Gotho's face might hmm. have been? Yeah, that's a good question. Good, 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 you know? yeah, that's a good question. Because with the, the eye yeah. hanging out and huh. it's just, it was kind of a yeah. mess. It's huh. a good question. I don't know. You know, it's like, it's like he's the monster. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's the thing, is, to be blunt, Orla is the monster throughout the movie. Oh, the, yeah. The movie would have ended in a very sad way uh, with uh, Ilsa dying and Goto being depressed. And, you know, essentially it's all these outside things that cause the, the horror that stems from what the Hunchback's actions are. These are reactions, not actions. He's not instigating something, he's reacting. But Doctor Orla, right. holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> it's like once once his uh, thesis or his not his thesis but his uh, his project is rejected by the by the college, and or by yeah, yeah by the, uh, the the college hospital. Yeah. Oh well, you know, rails come <laughs> off. Well, we're going to do this anyway. Yeah. I'm doing it anyway. I'm going to find a way to do this, and then uh, happily along comes Goto to introduce him to the labyrinth underneath the town. Yeah. All these d- dangerous dungeons and torture places where hey, you know you can hole up here. We could drag some information. We could drag mm. some equipment down here. Nobody could ever find you. Mm. And oh, now speaking of, here's here's another weird thing. But you just reminded me of something else. Here's something I I didn't really think about before. But all right, so if nobody ever had any idea that these chambers were right. down there, right? These catacombs. But did you notice how flimsy the piece of metal was that was covering the yeah. hole? Every every time Gato moved it, it's like it's like somebody walking over it probably would have fallen through. <laughs> it's like how could this remain hidden for so long? I, I, I don't know. Other than I mean, they, well, there's a, there's a slight hint hmm. at, and they, and they never they never go out of their way to do this, but. Having watched this movie far too many times, hmm. there's a there's a scene that they repeat. There's a there's a passageway they repeat a couple of times, where they're as they come in, they're having to kind of come in, go down a little bit, squeeze through a little area, and, th- and then down a bunch of kind of semi natural steps down to the d- dungeon level. And so what it yep. seems like is maybe you have to know where those lower levels are. But the movie doesn't either doesn't have time or doesn't have the you know the, the the money to demonstrate you know like lay out you know how you get into the catacombs exactly. It's just like let's just get in the goddamn catacombs. But they do show it a couple of times because that is a that is a note I've had about this movie for years, which is how did does everybody not know about this place? Well, how do kids not play down here? <laughs> well, isn't there in there scene where Rosanna Yanni right. actually as sees him? Go in, you know? and like, and so he's. It's obviously his entrance is in plain sight of residents, residential areas. Yeah, people just look out their balcony. It's just in the, it's in the cemetery. Yeah, which I think is like. I, yep. First of all, okay, maybe everybody doesn't want to be crawling around underneath the right. cemetery. Right. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Makes sense. 
But then they they point out in, in the dialogue, Orla and Troutner talk about the fact that these catacombs and these caves were part of a system used to hide Jews during World War II. Yeah. So it's like, well, right. this ain't that long after that. I right. mean, we're, we're only talking 30 years. So yeah. surely there's some freaking memory built into the people in this <laughs> town. It's like, oh, yes, perhaps we should... <laughs> We should use that as a as a I don't know a, a way to trap tourists, just a way to, to make some money or something like that. Yeah. But right, show them the Inquisition torture chambers. Let's do tours. Exactly. But you know, we all know the reason this is here. The reason this is here is so we can get full on gothic. Mm-hmm. We need those yep. images. We want dungeons. We want we want torture devices, torches. Yeah. Yeah. We we want skeletons and metal cages. Yep. Yes. And, and by the way, we also want. And this is a very important thing. We want rats. We can burn to death. <laughs> oh God. <yes>. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They they were were really fond of doing yeah. that. It's like every chance they got, there's another flaming yeah. rat. <laughs> oh, I know. And, and at a certain point later on in the movie, when they cut back to just some. Some, some of the same footage of that running, burning rat. And I'm like, well, at least I know that yep. that is the same rat. They didn't torch another one. <laughs> right. It did look like the same yeah, one, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. Definitely. And that's, you know what? That's okay. <laughs> I'm good. It, it, and I have to say that usually I mean, people have a tendency to get a little upset. And I understand it. I mean, it's different for me. I grew up around, and I'm one generation removed from the farm. Okay. So I as I grew up, I saw all kinds of things. I saw cows killed. I saw hogs slaughtered. I saw, you know, chickens who needed to die, <laughs> die. <laughs> they needed to die because they wouldn't leave me the fuck alone. But, <laughs> so I saw a lot of this kind of stuff growing up. So to me, it wasn't quite as shocking when in something like Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, we watch, a, you know, a pig get strung up and bled out. Right. But for some people, right. that's, like a, that's a breaking point. And believe me, I get it. Hmm. It's it's it, it's it's no matter how you slice it, it's in the movie for a shock effect. It's in the movie yeah. to show you that you don't know exactly what we're gonna show you. Mm-hmm. We we might just slap something like this mm-hmm. on screen and mess with your head. Interestingly, they had cut that out for American yeah. audiences, or you know, I mean, you just saw the girl walking around with the you know with a big pan of blood, but. You know, and then Nashi had mentioned in an interview that it's like, oh yeah, that's he's like, hey, it's it's a Spanish thing. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was you know, the whole, whole thing did, about yeah. the slaughtering of the pig. But the thing is, the 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 whole thing for me is, I I would never be bothered by watching them, you know, kill some, kill an animal that they were killing because they were planning to eat it. I cannot be that much of a yeah. hypocrite when I sit down and and hmm. you know dive into a plate of carnitas. To not know that this was once a an animal walking around on four legs. Okay, I know this. Oh yeah. yeah. When they show when they show yeah when they depict an animal being killed in the way that it's pretty much being killed every day, and right. whether it's in a slaughterhouse or whether it's a vill- whether it's some sort of particular village tribe that say this is how they they're just filming them do what they do every day. It's you know it's not as egregious as some kind of unnatural cruelty to uncalled for you know right. cruelty that's something that is you know that is actual just you know cruelty you know some sort of torture killing of an animal that's not in the in the way that it's you know you're right well that's it, that's why i feel that what's the, the rat deaths in this film and hunchback are a point where I can completely get on the side of people who are like turning up their nose and going, okay, I can't watch this. Yeah, because even though those rats it. were going right. to be destroyed, you know, this is not the way they would normally, yeah. normally the way they destroy them would not be on, sit fire. Yeah, they were going to be gassed. They were going to be gassed. Okay, they'd be gassed. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't be lit right. on fire 
and, yeah. and, and, and burned to death. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I got to admit, that's, that crosses a line for me. Mm-hmm. And I can see how it would cross a line I, for almost anybody. Now, one thing that we would have gotten, maybe, I don't know that this ever would have been allowed in any print in any country in the world, but we were going to be given in Hunchback of the Morgue the, the sawing off of an actual human head. Yeah. Uh, if Nashi had been able to right. go through with it, which he wasn't because he was allowed access to a cadaver and he was and the plan was he was yep. going to behead it and he, he just didn't have the he just couldn't go through with Even it. Even after but, taking but, a few shots had, of whiskey he could bring himself to, you know. Yeah. And but had they filmed that, you know, I still don't think it I still can't imagine it ever being allowed into any print. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, even though the body was already dead, I don't know if the cutting off of a real human, I mean, a Mondo film maybe, but. Well, that's the thing. Is it... Well, you know, there was something similar in a, uh, there was a John Ashley movie called Black Mamba, mm-hmm. which is really, really, really hard mm-hmm. to see. Uh, shot in the Philippines and something similar with a real corpse. And, you, you know, it, it didn't, it, I, I don't think that movie ever made the rounds of the drive-ins here in America. Mm-hmm. But I've seen it, but it's 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 similar, okay. you know, where it's like, you know, you've got you've got a body and, you know, you got a body being, you know, being I, I don't really. It's been a while. I don't remember. It was the head coming off. But um, but yeah, it, it's like same kind of thing, you know, and, and I wonder also if maybe it was like the in the Philippines and in Spain, you know, no difference. You know, people are people and somebody might not have been able to really go through with it, but uh, it it didn't look fake mm. in what yeah. I saw. Okay. So you know it would have been it would have been really interesting to see mm-hmm. you know uh, the, the controversy that would have ensued if had Nashi gone yeah. through with it. Well, you know, that's something I was going to bring up. This is the reason that I've kind of circled around to this topic, which is the idea that watching watching this movie the last couple of times that I've watched it which the last couple of times I've watched it of course have been on the the blu-ray that shout factory put out here in the states and what yep. you know having that you know having the ability to see it uh, in a in a much better picture than in past allows you to think about things that maybe you didn't think about when you were you know watching it on a third generation VHS tape from God knows when and one of the things that that occurs to me these days is kind of placing the film within the time in which it was made. And yeah, part of that is not just the animal death, the you know the on-screen animal deaths, but the ways in which at that time, one of the ways you made a splash was to see how far you could push the envelope on on-screen yep. gore and blood and violence. And I, let's let's be clear, as far as I can see, I, I don't I don't think anybody's going to debate me. This is probably the goriest of Paul Nash's movies. I you know I would agree with that, and it was and it it got taken to a, a point where it it almost became a little ridiculous and surreal. Where with all the beheadings and the dismemberments, yeah. mm-hmm. that some of those body parts started showing up in a kind of odd and inappropriate places. <laughs> oh, in the film. Okay. Bring that up because yes. until you mentioned this, I had not thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're talking about, we're talking about the severed hands, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So on a table in the foreground, which yeah, I don't know how many viewings it took me. Probably it was pro- it probably, it took seeing a, re- seeing a really good clear mm. print, but you know, my eyes kind of went right to that and I'm like, well, wait a minute, what the heck is that? And then when I watched it last week, I think I told you guys, wait a minute, she's got some weird decorating taste. You know, I'm talking about the Rosani Yanni character because it's like, it looks like there's a skinned cat 
tacked to the wall. See that? I never noticed until you mentioned that. I never noticed that. Now I don't know about the cat, but I will. I will say that I think I have an explanation for the what appear to be severed hands on a table Mm -hmm. in the foreground of Rosanna Yanni's apartment. I think. I think. Yeah, and it's like I think I got it figured out. If they're real hands, it's like you know there was already discussion about you know the corpses rotting and what happens when something's rotting. So why would she have? Real dismembered. I think I know what it is. Like just, and it took. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so I want to hear the theory. You had mentioned it before I sat down to rewatch the film. So when it happens, I'm going okay, and I pause the film and I'm looking at it, and it started to bother me. And over the course of a couple of days, I did a quick image search and I figured it out because there was something about it. Once I paid attention to it and actually stared at it for a while, it triggered a memory from my childhood, and I figured out. I think what we're actually looking at. What we're actually looking at is a truly creepy religious plaque. Let me explain. I remember this from my childhood in the, yes indeed folks, the 70s. What it was, and I'm not sure that this is exactly what this was, but it's it's so similar I think it almost has to be. It was a wooden representation of the pierced hands of Christ. Okay. You know, done and, and, and done as if they've been, you know, you're, just, you're not supposed to think about, well, did they cut Jesus's hands off and put them on the spike? That's not what you're supposed to, you're supposed to, this is supposed to be presented on, you know, on this plaque that people would hang in, hang on their right. wall as, you know, visualized right. proof of the, the, the horrors that Jesus went through to save your soul, hmm. yada, you know, yada, hmm. yada. It's like a sculpture, right? right. Exactly. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that's gotcha. what that is, because it's the only. And thing she just forgot to hang it on the right. wall. It's, it's the only. Well, see, that's yeah. it. They also did. They didn't just exist as plaques you would hang on the wall. They would. They existed as. I swear to you, I've seen the images, and I can send you some. As I believe as you, ashtrays. I believe you. Okay? Yeah. Once again, we're talking about the '70s, folks. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, drink your J&B with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think I now wow. know what those are. I have no explanation for the skinned cat thing. I don't know what the hell that right. is. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, explain the cat I, to I, me then. I, that one, it's going to take me another couple of years to dope that one out, man. <laughs> well, okay, so I had had that. That's really great, Rod. I mean, I think you're on because I was sort of vaguely. That's terrific. I was sort of vaguely one of the, I boiled it down to several explanations that I couldn't. <laughs> none of them really, but one of them was a quasi-religious something yes. to it because of the fact that it the same is the scenes where we're getting him kissing her feet, her feet like you would a saint that's a very religious kind of iconography there i thought like uh, maybe the, yes. and so i thought like this is all to some of the fact that she's kind of the saint that's come into his glad you life. said that because i had connected those two things but you're right they are in the same scene so that yeah. that even bolsters that right. idea even more you're right because another thing an explanation i had was that she's a medical student and these are like things that she's brought home to they're like part of her studies you know is, is or uh, they're part of a meal yeah, well, I'd also thought that she's actually kind of really twisted and deranged in her own way, and that's why she's attracted to the, that explains her sexual attraction <laughs> to the hunchback, and that these are actually Udo's hands that he had cut off in the very early part of the film, and she took them from the morgue, and she's, you know, had her own fetish with them because she's she's a, actually a sick twist, you know. Well, I've, I've, I've always felt that the, uh, the Rosanna Yanni character... And the the Goto uh, hookup there was more along the lines of a you know love the one you're with. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> well, she certainly did seem unfazed by 
some of the things that he had done mm-hmm. and that he was capable of. I mean, yeah. like when he removed the head from the body, right, and climbed back through the window, and we knew the police were after him. And basically, he goes to Elkie's place, and he had the head with him. Well, okay, right? did, did you pay attention to the fact that once he's inside her apartment, he no longer has the head with him? But yeah, I was wondering I think what he, he left with it the... outside the window because then when he crawls back out the that... window, he's got he's got it again. Well, that shows some man. That, that shows some manners. Sense. That shows some. <laughs> yeah, or or because I was thinking, what did he do? Stuff it, hide it in her bathtub. So <laughs> yeah, because, find because it? believe me, you walk in with a with a with a sack with a human head dangling from your belt, and somebody's <laughs> gonna go, "Hey, man, where'd that come from?" Huh? <laughs> now, did you notice when when the police came in, right? Yes. <laughs> and it was, uh, I think, what was it, Antonio Pica, yeah. and it was Michael uh, Shepard yes. there. Yeah, Manuel de Blas, which, who, by the way, is still acting. That's I saw amazing. him in wow. uh, Uncharted. Wow. Oh, wow. really? That's amazing. Oh, for, first yeah, of all, I'm, I'm sorry you saw Uncharted, but, you know, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, well, get this. You know, who he was playing uh, Antonio Banderas' dad. Oh, wow. And Antonio, and, well, I don't want to tell you anything more because I don't want to give anything away, but it's like, but it's a pretty good performance. But yeah, he's a lot older. But did you notice that that when they were when the police were leaving, <laughs> did you t- did you watch De Blas and it's like he took one last kind of weird look around the room yes. before they <laughs> departed. Like he's looking around like, hmm, I. I swear, there's a hunchback. He's like, why am I? He's, he's like, why, why do I, I smell hunch? I was gonna, I was, I was gonna say formaldehyde, but hunch is even funnier. Him is like, yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I was thinking something like that. So it's like I'm wondering, like, you know, oh, geez, got the what, what a, what a bad move leaving the formaldehyde laced head in the bathtub. It's coming right through the plastic of that bag. Okay, well, what, what's great is y'all have now led me down to another question on my checklist, which mm. is, oh, we led you. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. No matter, no matter how we got there, I was going to get to this question, which is just how useless are the cops in this oh, film? Oh, yeah, yeah. They... Oh, right. Absolutely. It's like they are, they are giallo level useless. Yeah. Yep. They are slasher movie yeah. useless. Yeah. Uh, the the phrase a day late and a dollar short comes to mind. Like a day late and twenty dollars short. And they don't they don't know anything <laughs> is going on until the primordial has solved all their problems. I mean how many I mean how many scenes yep. do we get of, of you know of Orla just throwing out the hook and it sort of hooking them in the cheek oh, out there and all and just reeling them in every time they go to visit him you know he just snows well, he just completely snows them you know every time. <laughs> yeah, oh yes, I, yes. I, 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 what, what does he says about the, the the injury to the back of his neck and head? Yes, he's like. <laughs> As like, you can see, I, I've had I my fell own down problems. on a gerbil. What the hell did he say? It's so unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it was something that was totally unplausible. And you have you have two professionals, two police officers who are supposedly trained mm. to smoke out liars. Yeah. Right. And, and they and they've got you know. Victor Frankenstein on coke sitting in front of them, lying directly to them. <laughs> yeah, he's got this big pat on the back of his neck, and they're like, "Well, that neither of them is going to go." Hmm, that's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, here, here's another thing that th- this is pretty standard. This is a pretty standard thing that I, it's a complaint that I have about a lot of Nashi's films, and uh, a lot. It, it all depends on how you want to break it down as to how you know to whose feet you want to lay this particular kind of flaw at. You know, do you want to put it at the screenplay level? Do you want to put it at the director's level? Or do you want to put it at the editing level? I almost always tend to put it in the editing problems kind of category, which is this movie is 
so herky-jerky in its timeline that we, we, we don't get a firm sense of how much time has passed but from scene to scene or from mm. incident to incident to the point where it almost yep. feels like there are yep. important chunks of narrative that have been left on the cutting room floor that would really help yes. us the fuck out. It, Lapses, yeah, yes. Yeah. And, and, and the, one, of the, one of the big ones is we see Orla get whacked on the back of the head. And, you know, at that point in the time, at that point in time in the movie, you think, well, shit, is he dead? Well, but the next time you see him, he's got a bandage and he's ma- and he's lying about having gotten mugged you know, <laughs> right. to the cops. You know, I didn't report right. it because you know I, everybody gets mugged all the time, and I'm fine. I mean, you know, and it's right, right on a college campus. I get mugged. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah. Well, exactly. considering considering those doctors, what we have we've seen them behave, I would I would believe it. Sure. Maybe I would just I would oh, just figure yeah. got attacked by the little kids in the bad suits and the little German school oh. kids. You know, but the, the oh, movie the yeah, only yeah, two they threw things, a rocket that would have been more plausible. Yeah, the kids threw a rocket. Well, the only only two things in the movie that give us a good idea of the amount of time that is passing is the slow deterioration of the corpse of Ilsa and the yeah. the slow construction of the primordial. But neither yep. of those things gives us a firm handle on days, you know, hours, days, weeks, months, anything like that. And only occasionally right. in the dialogue is there something that gives us an idea of the uh, of them trying to get across, you know, uh, periods of time having passed. But there's nothing yep. real definitive. So right. when we're watching this stuff happen, it's almost as if, you know, you you could be led to believe this shit happens over the course of two weeks. Mm-hmm. But it can't right. have done. It can't have mm-hmm. happened that quickly. Right. There's just no way all these events could have fit into you know. Mm-hmm. 14 to 20 although, days. Although some of it does happen quickly because you get these transitions with no passage of time, right? Right. Where you're going with the primordial, you're going from, okay, dead, mat- dead material's not working anymore. We got to do live matter. Then he's dropping a frog in there. Then oh, he's no. dropping the, the, fro- the frog yeah, always then, cracks me but, up, man. I'm sorry, but it does. Well, but then, <laughs> but then you get to this, the weird scene where, okay, you got the, the big overflowing gigantic glass container yeah. full of guts and whatever. And he's like, it's about to transform quick, get it in the room, you know? <laughs> and they, and they shove it in there, close the door and you hear a tinkle crash, the glass brick. And then immediately you start hearing, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's like, well, well wait a minute. It, 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 did it immediately, did it magically transform from just like loose guts to a body? And how did he know he was going to do that? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like a little timer going just, there. You know? yeah. the, 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 the meat thermometer <laughs> popped out of the lungs, and everything's obvious. <laughs> I'm just magic, you know. It's I just know. There, some of us mad doctors just know. <laughs> okay, well, that leads me to yet another thing, which the movie references, but doesn't actually, it doesn't tug on this string. Um, let's be rational for just a second. Um, there's enough in the piecing, of, you know, the story of a, a scientist piecing together a body, shooting it through with electricity and bringing it to some form of life, to hang a certain amount of believability on for me. There's a certain willingness of spent a, a willing suspension of disbelief I'm willing to give a movie that presents that scenario to me. But this movie presents jar of guts mm-hmm. with a frog and a human head shoved into it, <laughs> suddenly becoming a shambling mound. <laughs> now, to get me over that hump, there is a hint within the movie of another element beyond just basic mad science. And that is, of course, as we mentioned before, that reference to 
the Necronomicon. So mm-hmm. maybe there's some arcane wizard wizardry yeah. being tossed okay. around here. I was going to say earlier that I was going to say something. Thank you for bringing that back because I was going to say even in the original Frankenstein is pretty vague on the on the on the oh, yeah. methods that Doctor Frankenstein uses to bring the monster to life, and there's a lot of suggestion yes. of some alchemy going on there, and so right. I think that. There is, and I think you're exactly right that there's sort of the hint that because he's talking about tapping, that he's tapping into, you these know, ancient, forces, these ancient these, tomes. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. And arcane knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yep. The thing is, I really do, and, and this is true the last, I don't know, five or six times I've watched this movie, I've often thought it would be nice if there was just a little more nod just one more little line of dialogue or something visual that would give us the idea that he's not just leaning on science, that he is mm-hmm. attempting to, to, to use anything at his command to make this work. Mm-hmm. And some and maybe there was, and we just never saw it. Mm-hmm. Like other things that, you know, we, we've, we've already postulated there were some conscious decisions about leaving things out, yeah. like not showing the primordial too early, you know, that kind of thing. I'd love to see what the original treatment was. Yeah, agreed. Me too. You know, or it's like, that would be pretty fascinating, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, they, but maybe also, again, this might've been a, maybe they had something and there was a conscious decision made because they thought, all right, we've are, we've already thrown so much at this audience that they already <laughs> have to check the They're reeling. The <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like maybe 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 we don't want to start going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> you know? That's that's a valid concern. When you guys were talking a minute ago about the uh, the passage of time in the film, speaking of time, one thing I've noticed that I always uh, there's always a moment when I'm watching this film for the first time in, you know, in that when it's been a first time in a few years and I watch this movie, there's always a moment right about you know where where I get to the point where I'm thinking, okay, film's got about probably a half hour left i'll take the time and realize it's got about 15 minutes and i'm like you know it it, it realize how much is crammed into how it just hits the gas pedal and how much they cram into that last 15 minutes yeah yeah they they go they shove this bitch into fifth gear and it's all (laughs) downhill it's amazing yeah Yeah. (laughs) zero to a hundred you are so right Uh (laughs) because yeah it's like I, I stopped thinking about, or, or like, if you have to press pause, and you're like, well, wait a minute, there's only five minutes left. How, how are they going to resolve yeah, all this? all these thing? people are still alive. <laughs> yeah. How are they going to do this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's funny, you know, if you go all the way back to the beginning, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Troy's favorite, which is going to be the the music oh. Oh, God, yes. over the opening yeah. credits? Which oh. I, I think Troy, I think you, you, I, I think I call it circus music, but you called it something. Oh, I think else. I was calling it uh, uh, polka. Whatever, it's not polka. It's, uh, it's oh, polka polka music. It's yep. a, but Germanic. Whatever it is, is very Germanic. Or it's like uh, or it's like a calliope. You yes, know? It's, <laughs> yes, I think so. Yeah, it's, that's it's a calliope played by a drunken madman. Yes, <laughs> it's yeah, or or the or the drunken uh, organ player, you know, organ grinder in the bar. Oh, Oh, the guy I, playing it, the uh, the uh, the accordion, yeah, 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 because yeah, he's playing an accordion, and Udo actually yells at him and says, "Ah, oh, you're horrible, you're boring us. Can you play something else?" And he's like, "So what does he play? He plays Troy's favorite tune." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like I already, you know, it's good. Like, yeah, and it's like.
one thing when, when you guys, you know, again, this is the first time I'd watched this film since Ron and I did our commentary for it. And uh, um, but even before watching the film, I could immediately call that tune back to mind. It was just, I mean, I can, uh, yeah, I'll probably if I don't watch the film for another ten years, I bet if you say like Troy, hum the theme from, you know, from Hunchback of the Morgue. It's it's, uh, it's funny because the other theme, which I call the haunting love theme from from Hunchback of the Morgue, you know, is actually really quite fits the mood. I mean, oh, it's well, very yeah. it's a very oh, yeah. nice, but they, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. strange that they were. It's like they just wanted to pound it in your brain. You're in Germany, folks. You're in Germany. You're not in Spain. You're in Germany. Well, to to me, just... the score for this film has always set the scene up in much the same way that the rest of the movie does, which is this kind of herky-jerky, back-and-forth, mm-hmm. to- tonal, tonally tenured thing where yeah. you're, it, 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 you either find it unsettling in a good way or unsettling in a bad way because mm-hmm. it never completely yep. coalesces into something that feels like mm-hmm. a natural collection of music mm-hmm. to move you from scene to scene to scene. It feels much it more like a bunch unbalanced. of needle drops. You know, mm-hmm. where it's just like, yep. oh, wait, yep. people are smiling. Here, this <laughs> chunk of music. You know? <laughs> yep. Well, it comes from drinking those big beers, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and and Well, that's mm-hmm. you can think about what the composer's name is Carmelo Berniola. Yeah. Which I, yeah, you know, which he scored lots of yeah. other movies, yeah. but it's like, but you know, it seems more. It, just for me, I've seen the film like you guys so many times that I just can't disconnect the music from the film. No. It's just, oh, no. It's, no, it's just a part of it now. Yeah. 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 It's part of the the whole package, the whole experience, and it's it, it everything is designed to to keep me off balance. <laughs> I think that's why it's so entertaining, you know. Yeah, and the more it, the more you watch the more you watch Euro you know Paul Nashi films in Spanish horror and, and then you come back to this film periodically and it, then it just really hits you uh, what an amazing cast as far as just the just people that populated oh, yeah. the Euro horror Spanish you know it, it's amazing I mean when we go yeah. through them you know because I forget because I'm sitting there thinking like you know I'm already thinking yeah Rosanna Yanni Maria Percy Vic Winter Alberto Davis you know, and then, but then we mentioned the two guys playing the cops. They had long and storied careers, and they just have these oh, what yeah. we consider kind of ineffectual roles. But like you know, Manuel de Blas, you know, they made like you said, is still acting today. And I'd friggin' forgot that Antonio Mayans is in this film. Oh, yeah. that he's oh, just right. he's just playing a lout. Yep. I mean, he's probably even that's probably what he would be listed in the cast. But listing was probably just lout. You know, he's just playing just one of the louts in the bar. You know, there and that's but there's Antonio yep. Mayans just right there. It's just an amazing cast of, of, of actors. Yeah, and and he went on to you know uh, how many just Franco films did we see him yeah. in? Oh, you know, yeah, the list is endless. Yeah. Endless, endless. Well, you know, and this was the film where. Um, well, you can actually go back a little further, but, you know, uh, Vic Winter and Paul Nashi were actually really, they, you know, they, they became really good friends. But this is kind of what got it started, you know, but he I don't know, maybe I, I think I mentioned to yeah. you guys that there is a story. Yeah, let's hear this. About hear this. How, yeah. All right. So there is a story how basically how Vic Winter became Vic Winter and how Vic Winter met Paul Nashi. So, you know, if you go back to, uh, say, the year is 1960 to 1967. Okay, so Vic Winters, Vic Winters' actual name was Victor Barrera, yep. and he was practicing law in Caracas. Yeah, he was. Okay? He was so a he was lawyer, lawyer. And a fairly a fairly successful That's, one. Yeah. Yes, he was a lawyer, right? So, and we know also, like with Nashi, we know Nashi. You know, he he didn't aspire to be an actor. Well, neither did Victor Barrera. So he's practicing law. Victor Barrera is, he's a lawyer in Caracas, Mm -hmm. and he tells the story about once he had to go to Miami on business, 
And while he was in Miami, uh, and it was just kind of a chance walking down a street while passing by a car dealership, he fell in love with a white Jaguar. I guess he really, really fell in love with it, or the salesman was really persuasive because he purchased the car on the spot for $18,000, which for a Jaguar, not too bad back then, uh, using his credit card, which was unheard of back then. But this is what he did. Well, like I say, he was successful. Yeah. So he, yes, he was successful. So he could afford to buy a Jaguar. So he gets his white Jaguar and the salesman promised to have the car sent to Caracas. He said, all right, we're going to, we're going to ship the car to Caracas in 15 days. So about two weeks go by. And uh, of course he's back in, he's back in Venezuela. And while he's picking his car up at the Caracas airport, which is where the salesman said they were going to send it, he meets a gentleman there who told Victor Barrera the story that he was he himself was there to pick up a briefcase that he had left at the same airport and he asked Barrera for a ride to the city the gentleman was an actor named Espartico Santoni which we know from Feast for the Devil uh, Legend of Blood Castle a whole bunch of places right so uh, during the ride Sir, Sir Santoni said that the reason he was in Venezuela was that he had come there to make a television program and he wanted to set up a production company. So, you know, a lot of these guys setting up production companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Barrera gave him his business card and shortly thereafter, he became Aspartico Santoni's lawyer for the new production company, which was called Aspartico Films. So three to four months after founding the company, uh, Santoni has Barrera, who is now his lawyer, accompany him to Rome to sign some contracts. And they're they're basically setting up a two-picture co-production deal with the Italians. Then another month and a half goes by, and since the two of them, Santoni and Barrera, return to Venezuela, and Barrera visits the production office to see Santoni, and the Italians are there. He found he finds Espartico Santoni is in a meeting with these Italians, some very nervous Italians, mm-hmm. because the actor that they had hired to play the role of the police chief in a movie that they were going to be shooting was a no-show. Mm. So they were going to start shooting on Monday. So they're kind of in a panic until the Italians saw Victor Barrera and one of them points and yells, there's our police chief. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, and I can imagine yeah. Victor Barrera like, who, me? I'm not an actor. <laughs> well, so Santoni convinced him to appear in the film. And the film was called Goldface... The Fantastic Superman. It's a great time. Uh, which I just watched this one. Oh, and actually, it's kind of a hoot because uh, it's kind of an odd mix of uh, uh, the, the title role is played by Espartico Santoni, and it, he's basically a masked wrestler. Cool. So it's kind of my, my wife saw me wow. watching it and she said, What is this like a Santo film? And it's like, Well, yeah, you're pretty close. Yeah, I've never heard you of know, this. And it, and it had echoes of, bon, you know, 007 Bond films and things like that. So, um, but Anyway, so Victor Barrera, he didn't really worry about his name because um, he was he was uncredited in this film. Okay, mm-hmm. now also appearing in the film is the white jaguar. There's a scene <laughs> where he he and I guess the producer said, "Oh, we got to get the car <laughs> in the film." <laughs> so so here's the police chief and he pulls up in a white jaguar. So you only see it once, mm-hmm. but. 
while there was Italian money in the film, this was also a co-production with Spain. And the head of production was somebody named Jose Antonio Perez Hiner. And uh-huh. Hiner, yeah, we know we from sure Fulfillment. Yeah. So this is where the, so so this is where Barrera met Hiner. And it was Hiner who came up with Barrera's first pseudonym. So because Victor Barrera went through three names. Mm. So Hiner came up with the first one. And they decided on Victor Alcazar. Yeah. And I think Alcazar was the name of a, a newspaper that they had spotted or something like that. And he ne'er convinced them that, you know, you're going to need to use a pseudonym for the films that we're making together in Venezuela. Okay, so then you move a little bit further forward to the early 70s, a couple years later, and this is when he ne'er had formed Profilmes. And he had sold Horror Rises from the Tomb without a script. So mm-hmm. Barrera also told the story about Nashi, mm-hmm. you know, having to write a treatment in a hurry. Mm-hmm. But this is where Hiner introduced Barrera to Paul Nashi for this film. Wow. So That's... it was Paul Nashi who informed Barrera Alcazar, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, okay. So it gets <laughs> that he's going to need an English pseudonym. <laughs> yeah. So Nashi so it was Nashi himself, and, and this is corroborated by Victor Barrera in an interview. It was Nashi himself who proposed the stage name of Vic Winner. Wow. And obviously he accepted. That's awesome. So, that's so, awesome. So Great that's, story. So that's that's the tale of the three names. And this was, I, I would be remiss if I didn't credit where it came from. So it was from an interview that it was conducted by or transcribed by a fellow named Jose Luis Salvador Estebenez, and this was on the 10th anniversary of Paul Nashi's passing. Wow, wow. So that's, yes. so that's kind of, that's kind that's kind of how that Vic Winter came about, but so you kind of went from Barrera to Spartaco Santoni to Hiner to Nashi. Very cool. That's a great story. Great story. Very cool. A lot of history there, that's but they're so all, neat. they're all so interconnected, aren't oh, they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, there was that brief period of time. Uh, most of most of the most of the films we're talking about that uh, Vic Winter starred in with uh, Paul Nashi all were pretty much made in between seventy two and seventy three. Mm-hmm. Yep. They were working together. And we're like four of them: Horror Rises from the Tomb, Count Dracula's Great Love, Hunchback yep. of the Morgue, and Oh, Vengeance of the Zombies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vengeance mm-hmm. of the Zombies. Well, and then and then you got you know ones without Nashi, right. but you had a you know Candle for the Devil, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which was, you know, well, and it was interesting that in the same interview, uh, Dick Winter was talking about when they had made uh, they were doing Count Dracula's Great Love, and then you know the the female lead uh, was it uh, Heidi Politov? Yeah. I forget, is that how you pronounce her name? She had had an automobile accident, mm-hmm. so they had to pause the production. But anyway, Vic Winter had said he felt like they were kind of shooting two films simultaneously. <laughs> you know? Well, they kind of were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like they were pulling a. Who, who was it? Who did that with. A, was it Richard Donner who did that with Superman? 
Yeah, well, or I just mean, frankly, that was not the first time that the the Saul yeah, no, Kynes had yeah. made two movies and lied yeah. to everybody. Three Musketeers, the Musketeers, yeah. right? Can't yeah, film films. Well, right. it's like Jess Franco would do that too. He'd shoot two films at the same time. Oh well, yeah, but, okay. yeah, but aim for but, one, shoot two. But, yeah, but Franco wasn't uh, wasn't lying to his cast. He, he was hiding it. I don't think. Yeah. Well, he was he was he was hiding it from the people he was taking the money from in general. Oh, yeah, because yeah. he was he was definitely right. shooting one on the side. Yeah, for, for himself, sure. Yeah, but not from the cast. I mean, I think they were all kind of in on the game. Kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So wait a minute. What am I doing now? This is very different. What? Yeah. <laughs> right. Why am I wearing a different costume? Uh, just, just go with it. It'll be all right. Well, I just watched one of those, uh, which was a uh, um, what is it? Dracula's uh, um, daughter of Dracula or whatever. That. Uh, oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, oh, I know that. Yeah, right. I know that. I think that's yep. one of those that he sort of filmed on the side. I think, and that was like. <laughs> I, oh yeah, I think there was a lot of those during yeah. that period because yeah. well, he 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 used the same actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. It's, a lot it's of the so same much locations. Of the, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That was around the time. Oh, was that that Virgin Among the Living Dead mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. a whole mess of other films, The Devils. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, they're, 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 they're just so many of those. What I, I get fascinated by, and I'm so glad now with Jess Franco's stuff, the stuff from the '80s that had been kind of almost invisible for Jesus decades. I mean, just kind of hidden, uh, just hidden, are now starting to come out on on uh, Blu-ray, and yep. it opens up this this field that I've kind of dipped into over the past few years before this started to happen. Where uh, I was, you know, I was batting things back and forth with Tim Lucas, and I just watched. One particular '80s Franco film, I you know I downloaded an illegal copy. Don't do that, kids. Also, don't smoke. <laughs> but the uh, I watched that one, would really enjoyed it, and then Tim pointed out, he says, you know, more than half of that movie is in this other movie that he made right after it or at the same time. Only it's a completely different story with most of the same cast. And he told me what it was, and I went and looked at it and watched those watched the two of them back to back, and it's like. Oh holy shit! <laughs> it really is. All they did was like dub different dialogue over the footage I'd already seen, shoot about twenty or twenty-five minutes more footage to change the story completely, and it's just one of those things where you're just sitting there in awe mm-hmm. of two movies that are almost exactly the same movie, but not mm-hmm. really. <laughs> I have so much respect for that because that shows a level of creativity on a budget that is just a. You killed my friend. Are you crazy? Kill us. He's been dead for two weeks. Where is he? Never before has a motion picture told such a story in which love and horror race hand in hand to their final consequences. Never has love been so terrifying. Never has horror been more romantic. Close your eyes tightly if you're unable to look at the terrifying scenes of this motion picture. Interpreted by Paul Nashi, Rosanna Yanni, Vic Winner, Alberto Dalbiz, and Maria Pershi. Oh, you sweet prince of the monkeys. I'm your slave, Goto, the most handsome of the humpback gorillas. Surrenders pleadingly to your beauty. No, I won't let them die either. You're responsible for all this. You lied to Goto. I'm going to kill you. One might talk about this movie, Hunchback of the Morgue, as kind of a kitchen sink horror film. Uh, that's, a, that's a phrase that I've often used when describing Horror Rises from the Tomb, which is a movie that I do like a little bit better than this. I mean, it's like 
choosing which is your favorite child, really. Right. But yeah. or you, you know your your most exciting sexual experience. I mean, is whatever you want to call it. But mm-hmm. this is this is uh, this is a joy to watch. But it is very much a bizarre thrown together conglomeration of a lot of different disparate elements that somehow do turn themselves into a movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, some some of the elements we've already talked about. How many of the elements? I mean, I think that's part of the fun of talking about this movie is the all, talking about all the elements that really stand out as extraordinarily odd mm-hmm. but oh, they yeah. all swim in a sea of oddness and it's just occasionally <laughs> one pokes its head up above mm-hmm. water and mm-hmm. becomes more noticeable <laughs> well and case 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 in point <laughs> if we go back to uh you know our three friends who are drinking and i guess playing cards in the the newly underground set up lab in the underground oh and yeah, the decide, workers, yeah the worker guys yeah You're right and they decide they decide they make the extraordinarily bad decision of deciding to dispose of the corpse and the acid right when gato walks in with flowers right? <laughs> yeah not a smart move <laughs> not a good move and of course you know we know what happened there but then something really really odd i thought happened later which is all right so i kind of you know, you kind of put them out of your mind because it's like, all right, one guy, I guess, goes into the acid. One guy gets a face full of chemicals. The other one gets closed in the Iron Maiden, right? Yeah. So it's like, but one of them, obviously, I guess the guy, I guess it was the guy in the Iron Maiden died. And the guy who had his face burned off with the chemicals, why did he get the idea to rope his dead body <laughs> to his back like a like a corpse backpack and shamble around. Uh, I mean, I, at one point, I guess he scared Maria Percy. I have a theory. I have a theory. What's the, I want to hear the theory okay. on this because that's another oddball oh, thing. Oh, it's it's <laughs> odd as hell. And of course, the reason the, the reason it's in the movie is to freak out Maria Percy's character because it's a, right? it's a hellishly weird vi- visual. But the thing I have always thought is that okay, guy in the Iron Maiden is dead. You pull his corpse out of there because you know we, we want we can't leave it in there. I mean, it's just going to deteriorate and stink the place up even more than the the primordial which, that's creating. Which is what caused the jar. problem in the first place. <laughs> right, right, right. So we 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 drag that in there, and I, I I swear to you, I think that the the guy who isn't dead, I think Goto may have thought he was dead, but the idea seems to have been. To make it easier to get these two corpses out of here eventually, don't know, don't know, don't know why. Was I, I'll just tie them together so that I'm essentially just dragging one one big you know lump of dead human flesh along the corridor. I think that he tied them together, thinking they were both dead, and left them there. Oh, I see. So you're saying Gotho tied them? That together. is the, that, that either that, or he may have even been instructed by the completely mad scientist to do that to make disposal a little easier. But uh-huh. and I think that you know he probably oh. had them hidden off in a different place because I'm, I'm not altogether sure that Goto wanted wanted Orla to know to know that he knocked yeah. off all the workers. Right? <laughs> he, you know, it's like the workers are gone. Well, they've done everything they're supposed to do, so this is good. You know, they're they're gone. We've we now we don't have to pay them. That isn't that great? Okay, cool. So I, well, then and then this goes back to the ineffective police, you yeah. know, where oh, know. it's oh, like yeah. my thinking was, all right, well, if the guy's alive, you know, unless he was maybe blinded or just stumbling around the catacombs where he got lost. But, you know, my thinking was like maybe he would stumble out of there 
and somebody would see him uh-huh. and alert. I, I guess that would be just too simple, and it would wreck the wreck the rest of the story. But somebody would see him and alert the police to, hey, the, you know, this 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 mess just came shambling out of the catacombs. <laughs> well, eventually you, know? you do see their corpses. They're both dead, right? Eventually, yeah. they're yeah. out of yeah. they're both dead. But I think, yeah, I like yes yeah. at the end. Uh huh. And that is, and, a, it's and like I they guess that is another thing that gives us an idea of a passage of time. But <laughs> well, I love Rod's. You know, Rod, your explanation is one I, I because. But I think it's more, I think with what Bob's, you know, I think his, your idea of it, Bob, is it's kind of, it's more funny to think of just the the guy just strapping his buddy, like, never leave a man behind, you know, when you've been like, you know. I know. It's like, I got you, buddy. I got you. We've been, you know, it's like that. It's, we've been, it's, when, it's like a heroic <laughs> rescue in Vietnam, you know. And if you, you know, and as with so many, you know, Euro horror films, you know, if you disassociate yourself from explanations you have one of the you have some of the great greatest moments or just unforgettable moments in 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 horror film history i mean when those oh, corpses yeah. appear to, to to frighten maria percy it is one of the great bizarre shock just what the hell is going on what the hell is this right, another check your brain at the door moment <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's like we, but it's like yeah but it's just that that was just you know you guys said it like rob when you said it's just oddity swimming in a sea of oddity yeah it's like, it's like occasionally one of them pokes its head up like it's like an iceberg that just kind of like bobs to the surface you're like holy shit look at that thing but it's it's just covered in weirdness dude come on i think we can say the little i think we can say the big jar of of primordial slop as it's growing is kind of the visual metaphor for this movie of what this have this story you know <laughs> and it grew into a beautiful a beautiful grew into one of the great films of, of spanish horror but but i well, think it grew into something that could walk around and, and make noise. I <laughs> can you? I think we can all say that one thing you can all agree on is this film never is what you think it's going to be. And I think that's what the magic of the film is. Is anybody going to this film for the first time? Whatever you think, every five minutes this film is going to be. <laughs> okay, it's like yeah. okay, it was not that. Now it's going to be this. Then it's like well, and no, it it's not like that. It's on... going to be. It's going this direction. Yeah, yeah. I, I... And, and people on screen were getting surprised just as often. As <laughs> yes, exactly. Was. <laughs> well, the whole, what the hell is this? Well, the whole the whole the whole thing of Goto's devotion to his decomposing, you know, uh, uh, object of affection. You think that's going to be the story? Suddenly, she's just thrown in the acid, and it's not the story anymore. It's going in another direction, yep, totally different know? direction. It's like then then right, Orla right. somehow and, is able to convince him. No, I'll build you another one. Yeah, it's right. Like, that man can think on new, his feet. A new man. Ilsa. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, well, you figured really? out. Well, why not? You know, it's like this guy, this idiot, believe anything, <laughs> and I need him. <laughs> and and but you know, then, although but Orla, Orla was kind of his his biggest cheerleader there, he's like, yeah. I need you, Gato. You're so important. <laughs> well, I love the fact where Gato kind of turns it back on him, where the doctor stops becoming. At that point, the doctor has stopped becoming important to Goto. That's kind of one of the yeah. scenes where we get a little yeah. insight yeah. into Goto not being totally simple-minded i've argued before you know i don't that they talk about him being simple-minded through the whole thing he's that he's childlike and he's obviously damaged but the fact that like over there you know he's pretty he's pretty bluntly tells the doctor you know hey i'm leaving i don't need you anymore you know she's gone they burned the body that was what i was yep. why i was helping you so he's not at all invested in orla's you know orla's yeah, little he's, dream there just he's whatever, just yeah. he's just so orla manages to talk him back but he's about to just say you know hey doc i don't need you anymore i'm just going to go to the police because there's you know i got nothing i don't have any you know, i don't have a dog in the hunt anymore so yeah but then but then orla hits him with more Ill, total illogic and he turns <laughs> yeah, him yeah, right yeah, back. yeah yeah well he's like yeah, you, no mean, you mean there's a chance <laughs> it's like you know? no there is not a chance <laughs> 
Okay, well, 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 listen, listen, listen. We've we've talked around this subject ever since we started talking this evening, and I just wanted to go ahead and drag this drag this particular corpse out of the dungeon room and throw it onto a slab and, uh, and start poking go. around at it to see yeah. how much of it stinks. But <clears throat> we've t- we mentioned the uh, well, I'll just say the hairpiece, and I'll yeah. let descriptors be thrown about by the two of you. Yeah. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna preface this by the fact that. When Troy and I first started the Nashi cast all those years ago, both of us were under the impression we never really spoke about it out loud until certain things pointed pointed out this particular fact. But we never really talked too much about the fact that past a certain point, you know he's wearing wigs, he's wearing hair pieces of some sort yep. to play different characters. Mm-hmm. And sometimes right. it's very obvious because, you know, your hair doesn't change that much from film to film. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's it's he's clear he's wearing a wig to wear, to play this character or that character. But right. we were both under the belief that he was doing this more as kind of uh, trying to, you know, play up, play up the, the character actor end of his desire to be on screen more so than to hide the fact that he was going bald. Until, right. at whatever point, we decided to sit down and do our dissection of Assignment Terror, mm-hmm. which was some you know some period of time into doing the show, when we were both sitting there and going, well, he's not wearing a hairpiece in this, and that hairline is receding in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yep. every time you see him past that point where he does not have a receding hairline, it's a rug. Mm-hmm. And that right. was a bit of a shock. Because that's not something that we had kind of factored in. It's not like when you watch William Shatner. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. know it's a rug. Right, yeah. <laughs> Past the late 60s, it's a rug. <laughs> yep. It's just a matter of how much money he's making as to the quality of that particular hairpiece. Yeah. Right. With Nashi, what we're talking about is different characters, different hairstyles. And it's not like he gave a shit past a certain point in his real life. He didn't go around, he didn't go around wearing one in real life, mm-hmm. just on screen. So the question then becomes, with all these hair pieces, and especially the one here in Hunchback, <clears throat> these must be choices to help enhance his characterization, right? That's only logical. You would think. Exactly. Well, especially for this characterization, because you think of other things he had to go through. Yeah. Because Nash, he talked about how he would have to wear straps, that, which were painful for him to force him to adopt like a stooping position. Right. And, and, and Vic Winter talked about in an interview where he, you know, Nash, he would wear uh, inserts, lifts in his shoes, mm-hmm. you know, so he'd be, you know, which maybe you wouldn't see that on screen, but maybe he felt it where, you know, he would change his height. It would change his character. It would change the the, the way he personified the character. Well, also, it would um, change his the, his per, the perceived height of his character versus the other characters as well. Right. Yeah. Yep, that's right. You know, and Winter also went on to say that you know Nashi, they became very good friends. But you know, he made no bones about uh, how you know he said Paul didn't worry about me upstaging him. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah. It, it's just be, because of the roles that he would play, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like and, and I think, you know, I would point Vic Winter's characters in a lot of these a lot of these Nashi movies. And it, I always kind of lit branded him as the ineffect the ineffectual male protagonist or secondary mm-hmm. protagonist, yeah. you know, because it's like he's always getting killed or beaten up or thrown out a window or something. <laughs> you know, or like horror rises from the tomb getting possessed, you yeah. know, by, you know, yeah. uh, his ancient ancestor or whatever. So, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, so Nash, he didn't, you know, he was kind of, uh, Vic Winter was kind of safe mm-hmm. for him, you know. But considering he was a guy who, Vic, I'm talking about Vic Winter, who that was not his vocation. Mm-hmm. You know, he was not a tr- he was not trained as an actor. Right. No, he had and, to learn on the job, yeah. Yeah, and, and he actually directed three movies himself, and he credited... Uh, Nashi and other directors, but Nashi as a director and Nashi as a screenwriter. That's how he, he said he remembered how they did it, yeah. and and helped him. You know, he got better at it as as he went along. Although he just only made a handful of films, but he was talking about some writing and he did that he did, and he said he 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 kind of took he took a feather from Paul Nashi's cap on how to do it. That's cool. You know, That's so really cool. you know, so he, yeah, so it's really nice of him to you know. He, yeah. he gave a lot of credit to him. You know, he, he said you know Nash. He was, yeah, he basically you know the, expressed the that the sentiment that he was one of a kind. You know, mm-hmm. he was imaginative, and they were friends, and you know, and he missed him. Yeah. You know, this yeah. was on the tenth anniversary of his death, and he said, "I missed the guy." Well, that's one of the things when we started doing uh, lots of research for the various films. One of the things that I thought we would eventually stumble across would be stories of some of the people that he worked with that you know might you know might either not be willing to talk about him or not be willing to 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 blow smoke because they you know they didn't get along or they didn't do this or that and it's like I still haven't been able to find anybody who's either willing to go on record or actually has anything bad to say about working with Paul Nashi. Well, except for one, that's Salvador Sainz, who... Right, but uh, Nashi has made no bones. That's just it. The people, the only people that probably have something bad to say are people that Nashi will tell you up front, I don't like this fucker. Yeah, right, right. I mean, he put it it in his memoir. He told the whole story. Oh, yeah, and they hated each other. Yeah, and they had reasons Because it's like Sainz said, you know, he's my... Paul Nash, he's my avowed enemy, you know, and (laughs) Nashi didn't like him either. So, But but it's like, I, I... Interview after interview, all the interviews I've tracked down with, like especially the female, the female uh, actors who worked with him in various films. Yep. My God, they they sing hosannas about him. Yeah, they do. I mean, they all talk about how sweet and kind, and how gracious and patient he was, and how much yep. work he put into making them comfortable when they, you know, they they could be uncomfortable in certain situations. How out of his yep. way he went to do things. Oh yeah, like when they're on location shoots, yeah. making sure they're warm enough that they have they they have a comfortable place to sleep. You know, all of that. And it's just it, the I still there's just so many of those so many of that sto- those stories, and it's one of those things where. Um, the you know don't get me wrong there, there's you know no matter what you do going through life you're going to have people that you don't get along with there's just oh, yeah. no way around it and you you brought up the the most obvious one where it's just like okay oh, yeah. that the, there's a there's a lot you, know, you accuse somebody of plagiarism who's written you know 30 scripts mm-hmm. and you're claiming that this script that he's that he's currently trying to get in production is something that he didn't write hey, you're probably going to piss him off mm-hmm. yeah so uh that that you know that kind of thing is understandable, but it, part of the the love that I have for Paul Nashi as time as time goes on, as we you know yeah you're right we do enter into our second decade of Paul Nashi not being with us, not being a creative force. Uh, the sadness sometimes rears its ugly head, but at the same time, the the joy. The more people who know about this stuff, the more people who watch it. The, the bigger the fan base becomes the oh, yeah. the 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 more 
people come to know this stuff mm-hmm. and enjoy it. And that's that's where I'm I'm happiest is just knowing that his legacy not only will live on, I don't know that it will ever go away, simply by virtue of the way films are treated now. Right. That is an absolute joy and a blessing that someone somewhere, and I'm one of them, has sitting on his shelf both Casablanca, the Maltese Falcon, the Godfathers Part 1 and 2, and A Hunchback of the Morgue. Mm. Right. Okay? And to be honest, I enjoy these movies roughly the same amount. They're just different kinds of movies. That's right. This is a nutsoid film. Yeah. (laughs) If you were to break this film down in a, a filmmaking class... You might drive the the instructor insane. Yeah. He might give up halfway through trying to figure out exactly what the fuck is going on from a from a just from a perspective point of you know just just from trying to establish point of view, and it's like yeah 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 I know it's it's completely crazy at a certain point suddenly we turn into a mad scientist movie and there was no warning about that for the first forty <laughs> minutes I know there's just, it doesn't make any damn sense just roll with it. It's like you, it, you know your your comment you just made about what's sitting on your shelf. Yeah. Just a question just popped into my mind, which I've got to ask you guys. Yeah. So, and Rod, you, you know, you, you you can go first, and I want to hear Troy's answer too. But what was the last non-genre film that you watched and enjoyed? Oh, um, non. Like what? Like what was like what was the last one that you watched? What was the last non-genre film you watched? We can just simplify it that way. Whether you enjoyed it or not, what was it? Uh, and why did you watch it? Well, uh, the reason I watch almost any film is I'm curious about it. Okay, so so it'd be something that was new to you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Because uh, when after I hear yours, because I, I just I just came across one of those myself, but I want to hear your answers oh, first. Well, okay, when when you say non-genre, are we talking about a non-horror film? Non-horror. Okay, let's say non, non-horror. Yeah, let's just, uh, non-horror. It, yes. It's it's one of. I'll let you judge. Uh, we either have to go back to my recent rewatch of Beneath the Planet of the Apes uh, because I just read this particular uh, book and wanted to revisit Beneath the Planet of the Apes, or you have to actually go back to uh, the beginning of the month when I, uh, I uh, Beth and I went out and saw George Miller's new movie Three Thousand Years of Longing, which is not uh, horror, which is not a horror movie, right? Is easily one of the best movies I've seen this year. Uh, brilliant, uh, both romantic, exciting, intriguing, and the kind of movie you just can't keep your eyes off of. Um, okay. Just absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in a, in a standard month, uh, I, I have kept track for years of what I watch every month, and sometimes I may screw it up, but I don't screw it up that often. I I jump around like a madman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still okay. I'm still discovering uh, after decades of disliking and actively staying away from classic Hollywood musicals. I have discovered classic Hollywood musicals in a way that is shocking the shit out of me. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so like a couple months ago, I watched um, one. Oh geez, what was it called? Take me out to the ball game. I think with uh, Frank Sinatra, okay. Gene Kelly, and Esther Williams. Which is fucking hilarious. That's really branching out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's, it's not yep. the kind of thing that you would expect that I would sit down and watch, and yet I freaking loved every minute of it. What about you, Troy? Do you, what was the last thing you think? What was yeah. the last non-horror film you watched? Yeah, I watched, uh, um, and this I've been, you know, I mean, I've loved Kurosawa for years, but I still have plenty of Kurosawa films that I had not ever managed to get around to, and I just recently watched uh-huh. uh, Ikiru, 
or Ikaru, however you want to say it. And uh, yeah, that was just watched yeah. that within the last w- uh, couple of weeks. That was and uh, really, really enjoyed that. Just you know, like, amazing film. So you know, it's funny, Troy. What you're what you were just saying. So movies that you never get around to. Yeah. So I just watched one a couple of nights ago with my wife. It's called The Professionals. Oh yeah. 1966. Yeah. It's like, what a cast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hell of a movie. It's yeah. an amazing cast. A great, great Western, you know, and you got Lee Marvin, you got Robert Ryan, Woody Strode, mm-hmm. Jack Palance was great. I mean, for me, I, I think the, the, the best part of that one was, uh, and I'd never seen it, always wanted to, Burt Lancaster was amazing. Yes. He gives this really great, nuanced, complex performance, but it's like, you know, Terrific movie. Good director, too. I mean, uh, Richard Brooks, you know, he had done so many other things, and I, I didn't realize he was a writer. He, he was a writer on Key Largo. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, wow, this guy's got a pedigree. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like, you know, it's funny how, um, or maybe it's not funny because we're, or, or funny is not really the word. It's not really odd for, for us as film fans to be able to appreciate all films. You know, oh, and yeah, not to, just, to, to one you know, and, another, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. great, you, you have great movies, mm-hmm. you know, you have great films, well made movies, but it's like we all, we also find the joy in badly crafted ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. <exactly. laughs> so it's, it's, it's like film, film snobs were not. Yeah, oh, no, no, like, no, no, no. I'll watch just about anything. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, don't get me wrong, I may punch out of a movie if it's just not doing anything for me. But oh, yeah. I'm, you know, I, I there are very few things I used. Like I say, I used to have a kind of nose in the air attitude toward classic Hollywood musicals, and I really only thought there were like two that I could ever stomach. I, I've always thought Singing in the Rain was a brilliant film, but it's yep. like that was really about as far as I was willing to go. And now I'm realizing that I've really kind of walled myself off from an entire genre of filmmaking that is just stunningly impressive. And I think what may have broken me through is the the film. Uh, if you ever if you ever want to really see one that that'll that can turn you around, check out the movie The Bandwagon, which I've heard of it. Well, I, it I might have even seen it. It isn't so much a coherent, you know, wonderful film from beginning to end, as in like you're you're, you're, you're there's like some overarching story. It's just that the individual musical set pieces they the the story is a clothesline to hang the things on. Because you're given the excuse that you're watching the, you know, we're following these characters who are putting on these things on stage, and that's why we get to see so many different setups. Yeah. Uh, and I got to tell you, there are two sequences in that, possibly three, that are just fucking amazing. And one of them is a humongous, incredible dance number that is like watching a musical film noir. It's unbelievably good. Really? Yes. Hmm. It's incredibly well worth your time. And the funny the and the funny scenes, I won't even describe them to you. I'll just I'll just say humans uh, human adults pretending to be babies and you just and just tell you that you're going to laugh your ass off. <laughs> you know, I I guess if we're making true confessions here, it's <laughs> like I'm going to make a confession that I'm a sucker for uh you ever seen any of those? They're called the the road films that Bing Crosby oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, sure. and Bob Hope made. Sure, you know, and they probably made about five or six of them. And you know, it took me a while to catch up with. I forget. I don't remember. It was the Road to Hong Kong, or I think it was the Road to Bali was the the one that had eluded me. Uh, but then 
Turner Classics came around, and you know, Turner Classic Movies makes it easy because they they run everything sooner or later. Even so, I was finally able to catch up with the with the ones that I was missing. But uh, you know, Road to Morocco, I think, is my favorite. But I, I, I was I'm a big sucker for those movies. I've been taking a multi year run through the entire catalog of Abbott and Costello movies. Mm, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's taken it's taken a while. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> well it's like huge filmography, but there's some great movies in there. Oh yeah, oh my god. So it's like there's 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 I mean, and there's there's a lot there's a lot of pleasure to be pulled out of watching classic movies. Yes, you yeah, know? absolutely. Yes, indeed. I, I mean, I I was on a quest for a long time to see everything George Sanders ever did, and yeah. my wife tracked down a copy of his autobiography for me, and I read that, which I highly recommend. Oh, but that's good. So really great movie. Uh, 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 for him, the the, the last that. Some, one of the last ones that they did actually was the uh, I think I think it was actually his last film. Oh, was it the actually, motorcycle movie? Yeah, the site. Yeah, the 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 uh, psychomania. Yeah, psychomania. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Before he committed suicide, which I saw it at an exhumed fest up in Philadelphia with a crowd, and it's like wow, <laughs> it was great seeing it on a big oh, screen. Man. Well, I've been watching uh, uh, borrowing from Rod because Rod had them all with a Falcon films, uh, so I've been working my way through. Oh yeah, through They're those. Blast, uh, yeah. So yeah, so I've been enjoying those. Well, and then his his brother, his yeah. real life brother Tom Conway, took over yeah, on those. Yeah, 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 and they were still just super entertaining. As yeah. a matter of fact, there's yep. one of those Falcon films that I would single out one of the Tom Conway ones that I would single out as damn near an art film shoved into, you know, somehow managed, they somehow managed to make an art film out of one of the later Falcon movies. And when I, when it came up and we watched it, I was just sitting there going, Holy shit, how are they getting away with this? And I'm, I'm and I'm, and at the same time I'm saying it, I'm going, they're getting away with this because they, the, the studio is not paying the slightest bit of attention to what they're doing because this movie's going to make X amount of dollars yeah. and it has X budget and nobody cares. And by this point, they've right. already established the Falcon formula, you know, yeah. and yeah. so the studio just thinks they're going to follow the Falcon. And they formula. do, yeah. they do quote unquote follow the formula, but yeah. my God, right. they do it brilliantly in this one particular film. It's uh, do you remember which one it was? Yeah, the, Fal- the, the Falcon was? and the Coeds. Mm-hmm. You know, I I gotta see, I gotta watch that one again, dude. Because I'm sure I've seen it. It's it's one of those things, and I don't know if it struck me. I don't know if like seeing it just cold will mm-hmm. let you do this because at the time we were just going through the entire series, mm-hmm. and so you, yep. you you've got everything established in your head as to what these movies are going to be like, and then you hit that one, and you're suddenly realizing, my God, this is stylish as hell. Yep. What are they doing? Well, they're they're doing some really interesting stuff with this movie. What are they? What are they? What they're getting away with is crazy. Well, and they were having so much fun with those movies, and and when Sanders was doing the Saint, you know, there were so many of those too. Which yeah. it's like yeah. it's big yeah. time, big time fun watching him play in that character. Well, listen, listen, we've gone way off track. <laughs> I think yeah, so. Yeah, pretty yeah, sure, anyway, pretty sure we were talking about a Paul Nashy movie way back when. So, <laughs> but Bob, I just want to say, I guess <laughs> we might as well wrap this up because God knows we're going to keep talking if we don't. I mean, yeah, this is Rod. Now, you know, this is our third spin through this film, and I still feel like, I mean, counting our audio commentary yeah. in the original, and I still feel like I could just talk about it forever, you know? I, I, to- I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's like, you never know. Maybe five or ten years from now, you decide you want to tackle it again. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, not, not a God problem. God help us. It, exactly. It'll be, honestly, uh, every time I see it, I see something in it that I'd forgotten about or maybe I didn't even see before. And you bringing up those, those weird... Those weird chopped off hands yeah. <laughs> is the perfect example of that this time around. So I love the theories, though. Like I say, it, it's it makes sense depending on the time frame. 
well, it's been this has been enlightening for me. I, but we've got to stop meeting like this. Hey, I got. Let's just tell the quick anecdote that oh. Rod and I, Rod and I, hosted a screening of the Hunchback of the Morgue a few years ago at this uh, local uh, place here in, in Nashville. That. Uh, uh, sadly, not around anymore. Like most of them, oh, it, it must have brought the house down. Oh, oh! The, it, what was interesting was, you know, is to watch how people got involved and got engrossed yeah. in the film. Because there's one point that really I'll never forget: the part where after Goto cold cocks, you know, Vic Winter's character, you know, knocks him out, you yep. know, when he's when he's getting ready to to bail on him, you know. Yep. And by this point, after what's happened for the film, Goto grabs him and just starts to throw him in the acid. He's about to, you know, and, you know, uh-huh. he's just going to, he figures that's what, oh, he's, yeah. that's what he's supposed yeah. to do, you know, because that's what he's been doing. So he figures, so he starts to drag, oh, and the audience, a lot of the oh, yeah, audience members of, went like, no, 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 you know. like They started saying things out loud like, oh, shit, no. Like, no, don't do that. But Goto, you know, and it was great because yeah, here's this, he so, yeah, here's this sophisticated, here's this sophisticated art house kind of, you know, film audience, but they got so involved in this story that they actually were like, you know, telling no, go, no, don't, you know, don't throw him in the don't acid. Throw him in there, Jesus. It was just great. It was a great moment. See, I'll never forget and that. It, well, is, and isn't that the sign of a good movie? Is oh, yeah. when you you have characters that you actually care about. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I felt the same way. It's like it's like no, hey, and it's like thank God Orla said no, God though I need this one. Yeah, yeah. And it's like well, it's like yes, we the audience, we need him too. We need we need him to survive. Yeah. <laughs> He's he's our he's our sane port in the storm if he if he ever reappears in the movie right it, right. it yeah. takes it takes a while before he pops back up again yeah <laughs> but Lord Bob once this again this has been great yeah great time this has been fantastic as always uh, uh, I wasn't joking when I said that we, we just might drag you along through all the shows that we do on this podcast for all of 2022 and it's looking that I, way I, I'm game it, it's it's becoming a thing but uh, I I'm enjoying it well listen so, I guess the the real test is going to be I, I I've decided I haven't talked to Troy about this yet but I've decided no. we need to do it we need to do a beyond Nashy before the year is out yeah we do and so what we do is we'll uh, we'll bat it around and see uh, what Spanish horror movie uh, and if you've got one that you might want to talk about talk to you know send you know let us know. Let us know off mic, and uh, if there's a Beyond Nashy film that uh, will will uh, entice you to be back on the show, uh, maybe we can get you to talk to us again sometime in uh, November or so. Okay, cool. I think we could manage that. Excellent. All uh, right, Mr. Sergeant. Once again, thank you very much for being here, man. Always a pleasure, guys. Talk Thanks. to you again soon. <laughs>